This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, here for a mid-January matinee recording episode with my good friend, the forecasting fanatic, the rotisserie robot, the poobah of prognostication, the connoisseur of conjecture, the prima donna of prophecy himself, Brian Calm. It's such an honor to be introduced by you, Elon, the Sultan of Segway, the maestro on the mic, the Yo-Yo Ma of the Yes. I've got to come up with an I one for intro. I was thinking the Imam of the intro, but I, I don't know. Okay, the Imam of the intro. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really happy to be here for another episode of Keeping Carlson. We have a special guest coming up in a bit that Elon's going to tell you about in a second. But first off, I just want to recognize uh, today's January 13th, which is a very, like one of the most important dates in hockey for two reasons. First, it's Connor McDavid's birthday. Second, it's Elon Dabrowski's birthday. Happy birthday, Elon. Woo! Your age will soon be Connor McDavid's jersey number. <laughs> Man. How's, how's that for a, a good jocular ribbing? Oh, what a good joke. You're okay. almost there. Almost. Connor <laughs> McDavid is fantastic. I'm proud to share a birthday with this kid. But uh, we've got a great show today. We're not going to be talking about Connor McDavid. We're actually going to go the other direction. We're going to talk about a few players that maybe we don't usually talk about. We're going to go with some of the no-name. I don't want to say no-name. That's mean. Like the lesser discussed guys that might be worth considering for your fantasy rosters going into the stretch. Of course, before we get into that, let me mention... Two things. First, like you said, Brian, we're going to have a special guest joining us in around an hour. We've got Ryan Bolta, the content producer for TSN That's Hockey. That's right. We got it. We got the content producer from That's Hockey. And Ryan is going to be sharing some tips and trends that can help you win fantasy. This guy knows his stuff and he knows how to put out content. So I'm really interested to see how this goes. I'm really excited to talk to him. He's a friend of a friend, soon to become a friend of mine and yours and all of you, the listeners. Okay, Brian, second of all, we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website out there. If you're playing fantasy hockey and you're in a league and you're trying to go for the championship, you need to be going to the site every day just to get all the updates, great articles, you know, player profiles on the tools section. I use it to prep this show. I love looking at the line combinations, the starting goalies, like everything you need is there. If you're not using it, you're probably not doing as well as you can't be in your league so check it out dauberhockey.com but okay brian 
let's get started. And like I said, I want to talk about some lesser known players who people either drafted super late and are like surprised with, or people that might even still be available in your league's free agent pools. And now's the time where you could get those gems, those second half gems. Remember last year, Nolan Patrick did nothing for the first half of the season. Travis Konechny did nothing. I don't know why I just came up with two flyers, but then second half exploded. Nick Bjugstad did nothing and then exploded in the second half. So maybe one of these guys will be discussed on this show and we're going to let you know about them before they take off or Maybe we'll uh, talk about these guys and then in a couple months be like, who is that guy? I can't believe we brought him up on the podcast. I don't even think we did. But I want to start in Nashville with someone who's somewhat known, okay? Matthias Ekholm, who I can't believe we haven't brought up yet this season. He's been a solid own all the way through. Like, he definitely has deserved to be on people's fantasy teams. Though lately, he's been so hot that he's gone from solid to gas. This guy has sublimated. Matthias Ekholm is so, so hot. Ekholm is on a five-game point streak going into today. He's actually playing Carolina right now as we speak. It was a 12.30 start time. We started recording at 1. And he also has four straight two-point games. So that gives him three goals and nine assists for 12 points in his last eight games. 12 points in eight games for defenseman on Nashville, who's not even like on the top power play. Matthias Ekholm, how is this happening? And also, that brings his season total to 34 points in 45 games. That's a 62-point pace, Brian. When we project for him like 30 35 this guy's never had more than 35 points in a season it's been a five-year career he has like the same average ice time as last season and even less power play time than last season so Brian like what's going on is this just a crazy blip or are we seeing a new gear from Ekholm that he'll be able to somewhat maintain for the rest of the season Matisse Ekholm is the kind of guy who does this every so often, and when he does, we take the opportunity to mention how Ekholm is one of the more unheralded defensive defensemen in the league. He just never really gets the credit for what he does because he's one of the least flashy names in that core group of Nashville's top four defensive group. We also mentioned when Matthias Ekholm does this, aside from saying, like, good for Matthias Ekholm, that's awesome, we also say uh, that, well, Elon, like you said, he's a 35-point player for the most part. You can never expect these sorts of runs of production to continue for him. So why do we think that this time? Where's the proof that this isn't the difference, that this is not going to be the moment everything changes for Matthias Ekholm? Well... Ekholm has been on the ice for 11 five-on-five goals in his last seven games. For contrast, he'd been on the ice for 26 goals in his previous 34 games. So uh, he's on the ice for more goals than usual during this nice run. And uh, scoring more goals than usual while he's on the ice uh, because uh, his team has carried an on-ice shooting percentage near 15%. 11 out of 74 Nashville five-on-five shots on goal have beaten the other goalie since December 31st. And Ekholm, of those 11 goals, he's been in on nine of them getting points. So this is a guy who generally uh, gets a point on three out of every 10 goals scored while he's on the ice. Now he's got nine on the last 11. So I'm not believing that all of a sudden Matias Ekholm is like this super crucial and essential component to his team's offense. He is a great example of a guy who is just straight up hot, though, and will absolutely cool down. If you are fortunate enough to add Ekholm for the bulk of this run, you should be looking around uh, to de-poor teams in your league and seeing what return you can co- you can pull back in a sell-high situation. I should mention uh, that, like, Matisse Ekholm is not peanuts. Like, he's still a talented player, still reasonably rosterable in reasonably deep leagues. Uh, but just keep in mind, Uh, that unless he gets into a more consistent offensive role, and Elon, you mentioned his deployment hasn't changed at all, you can only expect him to top out around 35 points. 
Right. When you say 35 points, obviously this season he's probably going to end with more just because he's had this amazing run. But pace moving forward, we're going to expect around a 35-point guy. You're giving all these reasons why what he's doing is unsustainable. So yeah, good advice. If you've got Ekholm right now, now's the time to sell high. Maybe we, we're, as we discussed last week, I don't know if going for like Gosses Pahair is still worthwhile, but I, I think it probably is if you want to really take a shot on someone who could break out in the second half or you go for someone a little more reliable, like I don't know, Jared Spurgeon. I don't know. I'm just trying to throw out some names here for you. Tweet at us if you have any suggestions of players you might want to try to trade Matias Ekholm for. Since we're on Nashville, this guy's obviously not a nobody. Philip Forsberg, he returned from his upper body injury on Monday, right back to the top line with Arvidsson and Johansson, and back to the top power play, though different from last year. They went back to a three-forward, two-defenseman top power play, so that great top line. And then also Roman Yosi and Ryan Ellis have been on the top power play unit. So anyways, Forsberg, nothing versus the Leafs on Monday, and he had nothing versus Columbus on Thursday, but he did have two goals and seven shots versus Chicago on Wednesday, and he's now up to 24 points in 29 games on the season. I don't really think there's like a take I can ask you for here. Like Philip Forsberg, he's just as good as we always thought he would be. His owners are getting a huge boost getting him back in their lineups. The guy I want to talk to you about on Nashville is actually Pekarene because he's been kind of weak lately. Have you noticed? He only has uh, one quality start in his last six games, according to the Frozen Tool over at DauberHockey.com. The other five games out of his last six were all sub-903 save percentage games, including a 4-3 to overtime loss to Nashville on Friday. And meanwhile, you see Saros is trending in the opposite direction. He's got four straight quality starts starts though that's like over almost a month like Rene just keeps getting in the net I know Saros was supposed to play a game earlier this week but then he was ill but still I feel like I wonder if in the second half maybe Saros is going to start getting some more games and Rene is going to get skilled back a bit because Saros is doing so well Rene is doing so poorly plus Rene is not a young guy I wonder if now's the time to either I don't know like sell high or think of other things to do with Pekka and also to maybe get UC Saros if he's still available in free agency Rene was pulled against Ottawa about a month ago, uh, but then he got the next six starts during which he went 1-5-0 with a 9.03 save percentage. And as you said, Elon, that 9.03 save percentage has essentially carried through to today uh, as Rene has still started uh, four of the last six, well, four of the last seven because Saros is starting today, Sunday's game. Uh, Rene started a back-to-back though uh, also. So it seems like Nashville still has uh, sorry, he started both ends of the back-to-back, just to be clear. So Nashville seems to still have a lot of faith in him, uh, except Rene looked really bad in like all of these outings, except for an 18-save shutout on the road at Toronto. Um, so we've yet to see the Predators really try to turn away from Rene and towards Saros. But if you're a Rene owner, uh, you should be looking over your shoulder. Like, I don't know there's action to take just yet, but maybe what you need to do is begin thinking about what your contingency plan might be should Pecorine not be able to recover his game soon and begin seeding more starts to UC Saros? That said, like, I want to be clear, I don't know that Rene owners really need to be panicking just yet. He ranks third in the league in five-on-five goals saved above average per 60 minutes this season. It's been a really great campaign for Pecorine, even with recent struggles. Uh, most of those struggles for Rene coming on the penalty kill. He is getting crushed. He's given up 14 goals against on the last... 59 shots he's faced on the penalty kill. That dates back to November 25th. He has a 763 save percentage shorthanded in that time, and that includes letting in three of the last five shorthanded shots he's faced. I have to imagine that Nashville is aware of this and knows that uh, uh, such a poor penalty kill save percentage is not sustainable and that they're going to keep throwing 
Pecorine in the crease until they're absolutely certain he's got nothing to offer or can't rebound on the penalty kill because honestly, his even strength numbers are still holding up quite well over the season. And uh, today, I was just looking. Oh, no, now he started 5 of 7. I thought Saros was starting today, Sunday, but it's Rene. And he's given up two goals on 12 shots, both at even strength. So that's yeah. not great. Yeah, and also I wonder, but like, obviously you could tell me his numbers for the whole season. Like, we're all very well aware that he had a great start to the season. He's been great all the way until this recent cold stretch. This is the stretch that I'm concerned about, but I like how you're explaining it, that you think that it has mainly to do with a lot of shorthanded goals against, which are the, the types of goals against that are really hard for any goalie to stop. And you'd have to think that maybe Nashville could just try to take fewer penalties. Maybe that could even things out, though. Like you say, two even strength goals against today. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, like you say, like, there's not too much to do with Rene. If you could trade him for, I don't know, I don't maybe you don't but usually stars if he was available in free agency now would be the time that i'd be looking for him because he's been so good lately and i feel like nashville should give him a shot also i still remember that Rene kind of choked in the playoffs last year and it wasn't the first time so i wonder if they have anything in the back of their heads thinking like i don't know like if we want to ride this guy to the playoffs but i'm sure they do that's like a stupid speculation that's not going to come true anyone who owns pecorino should already have had some sort of contingency plan in place like if you drafted him and you've gotten really uh great numbers from him in the first half of the season you always need to be on edge owning him because of his age uh, because of sorrows so just if you forgot that you had to have a plan b uh, now's a good time to start remembering yeah okay so let's go to another team and back to this plan of talking about lesser known names you know we did start with ekholm and then you know we segue to talk about renee peter F- philip forsberg i should say he's not related to peter forsberg is he no okay yeah i didn't think so but yeah they're both really good uh let's go to winnipeg okay who's this brandon tanev character currently he's riding a four game point streak playing in the bottom six in winnipeg going into today's game versus the ducks so we'll see if he's going to be able to keep this streak going plus tanev has been filling some other categories as well especially hits he has 135 hits over 44 games that's over three hits per game and he threw 10 hits in a single game a couple weeks ago against pittsburgh he's also averaging over a block a game which is really great for a forward he took five shots on friday versus detroit they're usually He's around, you know, less than two shots. But yeah, like he's not playing on the greatest of lines. He's playing with Matthew Perot and Adam Lowry, and he's not on either power play unit. So like, how is Brandon Tanev getting all these points? First of all, like also, who the heck is Brandon Tanev? And do you think there's any chance he could somewhat keep this up? Like, could he at least be, let's say, a half point per game guy to supplement all of these great hits that make him valuable in a bankers league? You know, like, does he, I don't know, is he, can he approach the goodness that is Tom Wilson? Unlike Philip Forsberg, uh, Brandon Tanev has an NHL relation. He's Chris Tanev's younger brother, and he was undrafted out of college. uh, And now he's actually 27 years old. He was a part-time NHLer before this year. Uh, Not for very long, though. He's only had 22 points in 115 games heading into this season. But this season, Tanev is seeing his time on ice rise steadily since playing his first pro season with Winnipeg at age 25 just a couple years ago, as I said. But uh, his time on ice still has not risen to the point that we can consider Brandon Tanev a top six forward. He has increased his shot attempt and shot rates this year, which is good. But again, not so good uh, that we really need to be watching for this guy. He's still averaging fewer than two shots per game on the year though that five shot effort you mentioned is encouraging if rare so far 
Tanev's hits are valuable if those count in your format, but really the point ceiling remains pretty low for him. He reminds me of another Winnipeg Jet uh, in recent memory, Adam Lowry, who seemed to be able to produce from mid- from the middle six every so often, and that made him worth a stream in deeper leagues, but not someone that could ever reliably put up a point or benefit from good deployment. So to me, that means Brandon Tanev uh, remains a stream. I know it may seem weird, but in a non-hits league, uh, I'm not going to be that interested in him, like maybe for one more game, and then if he gets a point, it's another game. But to me, his first pointless game will be the last day he spends on my roster. Yeah, I guess he's like one of these guys. He's on a team that scores a lot of goals. And so right now he's getting in on at least one per game. Like that guy on Tampa, Matthew Joseph, I think he was on a good run. It was just like everyone on that team was getting points. Right now it's really working out for Tanev. I agree with you. Though, like if you are in a league that counts hits, grab him now and ride him for a little while. And even if he has one pointless game, maybe hold on for another. And also, I don't know about what's going to happen in this top six. Like if you recall, Nikolai Ehlers is injured and Jack Roslovich has been playing with Line and Little. But like that line hasn't really been doing anything. Roslovich has done nothing. Patrick Line still is cold so maybe at some point they try moving things around and who knows if Brandon Tanev gets a shot playing with either like a little line a line or maybe even on replacing Kyle Connor Kyle Connor goes down to you know help shake up that line like I don't know but just we'll see what happens probably not going to be a long-term guy to own but definitely a guy you should have on your radar right now by the way Brian since we're on Winnipeg did you realize that Jacob Truba has been manning the top power play of the last few games super quiet like no one was mentioning this to us on the Facebook group so maybe I'm even reminding some people like we thought that it was going to be Josh Moore who'd have that job when Dustin Bufflin got injured but no it's been Truba lately and it's working he's got three power play points in his last four games seven points overall in his last six games including a goal and two assist performance versus Colorado on Tuesday so Truba is doing really well right now and he's on the top power play. Meanwhile, Josh Morrissey is pointless in his last couple games, only has four points in his last 10, so he's really slowed down. I thought that he was the guy to jump on. I was like, must own Josh Morrissey when Dustin Bufflin got injured. Right now, I guess I'm actually going to ask you, should people be dropping Morrissey, especially if they could swap him for Truba? If you can swap Josh Morrissey for Jacob Truba, I think you do. Like Jacob Truba quarterbacking the top power play unit, unit, Elon, is your dream come true. So you must be really happy happy about it. Uh, and we're still a couple weeks away from the next Dustin Bufflin update, probably. Like we heard that uh, he's out for about four weeks. We'll, we'll get a reassessment around the all-star break. So in the meantime, the Jets power play one quarterback has to be rostered, whether it's Truba or Morrissey. And right now, it's Jacob Truba. So go get him, even if it means dropping Josh Morrissey. You can pick a backup if they trade spots again. Yeah, but though let's say most leagues Jacob Truba is owned, right? Like he's very hard to get in fantasy because everyone loves him just like me. Uh, but Josh Morrissey, what do you think about him in general? Like, is he droppable at this point for just like some stream? You know, Brandon Tanev is playing today, so you could get an extra game on your week. Would you be willing to let go of Josh Morrissey now that he's off the top power play? Yeah, I I would, unless it's like a really deep defensive league where defensemen are very difficult to come by. Uh, But assuming that that's not the case, Josh Morrissey is more just like a a streamable uh, peripheral helper if he's not quarterbacking the top power play unit. Very interesting. Okay, so we'll have to wait and see how things shake out. Maybe give it another week. They could always put Morrissey back there, and then you'll really be kicking yourself. Uh, Okay, one more thing about the Jets. I promise I'll do fewer players per team, but there's so many interesting things to talk about. Just like with Nashville, we've got a goalie situation starting to arise. Connor Hellebuck has kind of been struggling lately. He only has two games with a greater than 906 save percentage in his last seven. He's still got three wins in that span because... 
you know, Jets. They're so good. They score so many goals. But with this bad run, Hellebuck is down to a 908 save percentage on the season, which is a far cry from his 924 save percentage last year and a farther cry from backup Laurent Brossois' 939 save percentage on the season. Now, that's only in 11 games, very small sample size. But Brossois has been great, especially in each of his last six starts. He's won all of them. But unfortunately, those six starts, that goes all the way back to November 24th. So Brossois' starts are few and far between. But hey, he won his game versus Detroit on Friday. And that was actually his first start since December 22nd. So they're really, you know, spacing these games out. But he's doing so, so well. Like, what does this guy need to do to get in the net more? Like, Hellebuck's not doing so well. Brossois' been amazing. I'm curious to know if you think that maybe something will change there. I'd be, I'd be curious, actually, to hear you compare the two situations in Winnipeg and Nashville. Like, who would you rather have between Rene and Hellebuck? And who would you rather have between Saros and Brossois if you wanted to own a backup? Well, to your question as to what Brossois needs to do to get into the Winnipeg net more often, he needs to steal Hellebuck's jersey, pads, and mask so that Winnipeg thinks he's Connor and throws him in night after night after night. Uh, there is a really interesting contrast to make between Hellebuck's season so far and Rene, because Rene, I was talking about how uh, he's been really good at five on five, which is a better indicator of how well a goalie's playing and really rough on the penalty kill, which is not a good indicator, but can still sink your save percentage anyway. Hellebuck is actually the inverse. He's performing really poorly uh, at five on five this year, ranked amongst guys like Craig Anderson and Cam Talbot in five on five goals saved above average per 60 minutes. He's playing sub replacement level or sub average, I should say. Uh, But also unlike Rene, Hellebuck is saving his save percentage. Like he has a bad one, but it's still as good as it is because he is outperforming expectations while short handed. But also unlike Pecorine, I don't think Connor Hellebuck has much reason to be worried. He's not older or dealing with a long injury history, nor is he being backed up by the apparent uh, organizational uh, next choice to be uh, the goalie once he moves on from Winnipeg, whereas Rene has Saros to contend with. So I don't know that if you are a Hellebuck owner, like you want him to play better. But I don't know you need to worry about him losing a whole lot of starts. Brossois has been great for sure in his starts and really is a must-add anytime he gets the starting nod. But I don't think he's as likely to pick up more starts from Hellebuck than Saros is from Rene. I'm just not sure there's anything Brossois can do as Winnipeg has really seemed to declare Hellebuck as the be-all, end-all for their goalie situation. Yeah, it sounds like the only thing that Brossois should get is like maybe he should do some research and present to the team that, hey, you know, if you rest your starting goalie more, you have a better <laughs> chance of him playing well in the playoffs. And then maybe that could get him some starts. But yeah, he's been great. And yeah, he was a great stream for anyone who grabbed him on Friday, picked up the, I guess, easy win over Detroit, as easy as they get. Uh, okay, Brian, since we're talking about goalies, let's go now talk about a guy that I'm ready to take a risk. I'm ready to go all in on. I'm, I'm ready to stake my uh, reputation and tell people that I think you should right now, if you need a goalie, or even if not, Pause the podcast, you know, after you finish the sentence, of course. Pause the podcast, go check your free agency and see if Jordan Binnington is available because it's looking to me like he's taken the job as the number one goalie on the St. Louis Blues. He, he's been so good lately. His first NHL start was just back on Monday. So when I say lately, I literally mean this past week. He shut out the Flyers, stopping 25. Jake Allen then got the start on Tuesday and did Jake Allen things. He let him three goals on 17 shots in a loss to Dallas. So St. Louis really doing a good job of suppressing shots, but Jake Allen totally blew it. Craig Berube then made the smart move to give Bennington the next start on Thursday versus the Habs, and he was rewarded 28 saves on 29 shot performance in a 4-1 win. And then Bennington got the net again yesterday, stopped 21 of 22 in a win over Dallas. So, like, Bennington is clearly outplaying Jake Allen. And, okay, 
here are some thoughts that make me really think that Bennington is going to get the net moving forward. And like, who knows, maybe in a month from now, Allen's getting all the starts, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Like, first of all, Allen's been terrible pretty much all year. And it's not the first year he's been terrible. Like at some point, this leash has to run out. Secondly, the Blues are actually starting to look like the good team we were expecting them to be going into the season. Like this isn't a team that's like not a playoff team that might as well play Allen and see if he could get his game back. Like they've been, like I said, like some really nice low shot against counts, especially since Alex Petrangelo has returned. I don't know if that's related. Ryan O'Reilly has been the point per game player that, you know, we all thought he maybe could be, or at least like a 70 plus point player. Like he's been fantastic. Such a great acquisition. Tarasenko is starting to heat up a bit. He had a goal yesterday up to four points in his last five games. And like, if you look on paper, like this team looks pretty deep and now they're finally getting some goaltending. And also like as bad as the Blues have been this season, these three wins in their last four games, thanks to Bennington in part, like they, that brings them within five points of a wild card spot and eight points of the third spot in the central division so they are definitely not out of this there's a lot of hockey yet to be played plus the teams that they're chasing are teams like dallas and colorado teams that are struggling right now all of this makes me think that the blues have every incentive to let allen sit and put all their eggs in the binnington basket i feel like at this point they know what they're going to get from jake allen it's not very good so i think that binnington becomes a must own in fantasy at this point he's potentially a starting goalie on what i think is a potentially good team fighting for a playoff spot so, Brian, I'm ready for you to get that cold water bucket out from under your desk and cool me off because I've got a hot take right now. I'm going to predict right here that the Blues are going to make the playoffs and Bennington is going to be their starting goalie that leads them there. A lot like, I guess, Keith Kincaid last year for New Jersey. Though, of course, that was like more Taylor Hall leading them. But K- Kincaid was solid. I'm not saying, you know, Bennington's going to be amazing all the way through, but I think they have enough players that they can get there and have Bennington as a solid piece back there. I think people should be going to grab him. I feel like uh, also, I guess, before you answer that, and I know I'm throwing a lot at you here, I'd love to get your thoughts on if it's time for people to consider dropping jake allen like maybe he's similar to like a mike smith at this point a guy who maybe we thought could be good at some point but at this point i don't know he kind of sucks and i think like the other goalie is going to get more games one take at a time here elon you gave me your your take about st louis making the playoffs with bennington and told me to get out my bucket of cold water but elon i love that take St. Louis, believe it or not, has actually been one of the best teams in the league in expected goals and shot attempt share over the last couple weeks. They've also been getting sunk by a really unfortunate PDO in that same stretch. So poor shoot, a combination of poor shooting percentage and poor save percentage. Although we know with Bennington and Net, the save percentage has not been poor. Um, this sort of uh, ascendance uh, in their expected goal share and shot attempt share started a little bit before Alex Petrangelo came back. But of course, having him in the lineup is much more helpful than not for the Blues. Here's the thing with St. Louis. They they look to me like they could be a playoff bubble team if things broke half right for them. But again, they have been just destroyed all season by brutal goaltending. They own the league's fifth worst five-on-five save percentage, ranked similarly in goals against per 60, but their expected goals against per 60 is like middle of the pack. All this suggests to me that St. Louis hasn't been getting quite what they deserve for some time now. Uh, Not that they deserve to be a top team or a playoff shoe-in, but they at least deserve a fighting chance at one of the last playoff spots. And maybe Bennington can be the guy to lead them there. Who is Jordan Bennington? Well, he was a third-round pick, 88th overall of the Blues, way back in 2011. He's now 25, but up until this year, Bennington had just one game of NHL action, and it came three years ago when he gave up a goal on four shots and 13 minutes of relief work for Brian Elliott uh, that was in a game against Carolina. Elon, in the 2015-16 season, do you know who Carolina's winning goalie was? 
who their winning goalie was? Like, who like, won the most games? No, who won that game? The one NHL game that Jordan Bennington had played to date. <laughs> no, I don't know. Eddie Luck! How oh, do you your, favorite, your favorite guy. Yeah, come on. We all uh, have a mental catalog of all of Eddie Luck's glorious wins. That was one of them. Anyway, since that one NHL game three years ago, Bennington has actually been a pretty good goalie in the AHL. He actually played for Boston's AHL affiliate last year because the Blues were sharing two other AHL teams. They were between AHL teams because Vegas took their Chicago affiliate and they were going to move to San Antonio, but Colorado had already an agreement with San Antonio. So anyway, this is a long story, but the Blues were sharing both San Antonio and Chicago of the AHL with other NHL teams. There's no room for Bennington. So uh, Boston had room with their AHL teams. They said, sure, Bennington can play here. And that was a great move for the Providence Bruins because Bennington put up the second best save percentage in the AHL last year, a 926 over 28 games. Before you get too pumped about it, uh, the other guys in the top five, Garrett Sparks, Michael Hutchinson, Eddie Pasquale, Aiden Hill. Uh, so like no really proven names and some names that we have a good sense aren't going to pan out in the NHL. But could Bennington pan out in the NHL? He was also playing pretty well this year for San Antonio, 927 over 16 games in the minors. So why not? It sure looks like Jake Allen isn't going to be up to the task. Like, let's all move on from him, Elon. I think you're right. I think it is like a Mike Smith situation. Although uh, we haven't seen Bennington succeed for quite as long as Riddick has in Calgary. So it's not analogous yet. But let's see how far St. Louis can ride Bennington and if he can bring them to the deserved territory of playoff bubble team the one caveat after all this optimism that i'm going to deliver is that jordan binnington and the blues uh, their last three opponents have not been so strong it's been dallas montreal and philadelphia not known for their goal scoring uh they've got some big tests coming up uh, so let's check in in like a week or two and see how binnington and the blues fare against tougher competition if they can hang in the race through then and Bennington still looks like at least like an average ish NHL goalie the Blues have a very real chance okay yeah so I like it you didn't take out the cold water bucket this is very exciting but you do make a good point and it was also made on our Facebook group oh, I'm blanking on the name it was one of our smart people I think it might have been Ben uh saying yeah like these have been kind of easy games let's see how he does against harder teams so it'll be very interesting to watch for the rest of this week and it might even be really interesting to go watch a game from Jordan Bennington live and if you happen to be in the St. Louis area you could go see a game of them live using our friends and our sponsors of this week's episode which are our friends over at SeatGeek the, the ticket buying site it's like the best place to go SeatGeek you guys all know it. we've been talking about it all season long you know how getting tickets online can be so complicated there's hundreds of sites, varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust, but that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. They pull millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to play. Actually, St. Louis is on a road trip right now, so you could go see them at the Capitals or at the Islanders. Brian, here's a fun game for you. Okay, We should maybe do this every week when we're talking about SeatGeek. I'm seeing that St. Louis is going to have a back-to-back with the Nashville Predators, a home-and-home series on February 9th and February 10th. Which one do you think is more expensive, the game in Nashville or the game in St. Louis? What's your bet? I would go Nashville. It seems like it should be the hotter ticket. Nashville, like being in Nashville, you think it's more expensive than being in St. Louis? Yeah. Okay, you're right. How'd you know? Actually, I would have thought St. Louis. I guess Nashville. What What team would you pay more to see? 
No, you're right, Brian. What a smart guy. Yeah, but still, very cheap prices, right? Less than $100, less than $50 if you're going to St. Louis. And yeah, you could go see these games or any other game or any other thing you want. You just use the app and you browse around and you see what's going on. So that's what SeatGeek and Brian, our listeners can actually get a little discount just by being listeners of our show. So why don't you tell them about that? Yeah, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do, download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING TODAY, and then you can see just how easy and helpful it is to buy your tickets on SeatGeek. Again, that's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Because SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. They have the tickets, yeah. Good for them. They have a big warehouse with all the tickets. That's what I've heard. Uh, Brian, okay. Next, let's talk about another player who, I'm going to be honest, I don't think I had heard of him maybe two weeks ago. I don't exactly know when I first heard the name Connor Garland, but right now he is at the top of my mind. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, Garland has been playing right wing for the Arizona Coyotes. He was on a line with Alex Galchenyuk and uh, Nick Cousins yesterday. Obviously, Galchenyuk's the more exciting uh, player to be playing with. And he's also been on the top power play for the last five games, playing with Keller and Galchenyuk, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, and Jacob Chikrin, and oh, should I maybe mention that Garland scored two power play goals yesterday versus Edmonton, and that extended his goal-scoring streak to four games. He's now up to 10 points in 17 games on the season, and he's rising fast. Like, Arizona plays Calgary tonight. I'll be curious to see if Garland can get another point then. And of course, the reason he's getting this top power play timer, one key reason is that Nick Schmaltz is injured. We talked about him being injured last week, but word came out since then that he's actually going to be out for the rest of the season with a lower body injury. So really rough news for Schmaltz, who was doing so well. You know, he was really having a great career resurgence, if you could say so, for such a young player coming to Arizona but maybe his loss is Connor Garland's gain because this guy's on the top power play and he's killing it right now so Brian like who the heck is this guy Connor Garland do you think he could stick on the top power play is he worth a stream at least for next week to see if you grab him on Wednesday Arizona's got a really nice schedule they play Wednesday Friday Sunday so you could grab him on Wednesday and get three games on off days Connor Garland, unconfirmed whether or not he's a distant relative of Judy, but he is a former fifth round pick, 123rd overall of the Arizona Coyotes uh, from back in 2015. And he's from a place called Skituate, Massachusetts. It's the word situate, but there's a C after the S. Situate. Very interesting city name. I yeah. How much longer are you going to talk about this? I don't know. I saw you unmute yourself and figured you would just be hurrying me along. Okay, Connor Garland, 22 years old, 5 foot 10, 165 pounds, which is like almost my size. Yeah, I so, weigh I weigh more than that. <laughs> yeah, so uh it's it's really interesting to see him succeeding. Like that's a classic fifth round pick who kind of pans out. The thing is that he was not really trending to be an offensive producer uh, in the last two years that he spent in the AHL, just 41 points over 110 AHL games this year, though, suddenly at eight goals, 11 assists for 19 points in 20 games in the minors. And that earned him a call up to the big club. Now Connor Garland is a Cy Young contender with eight goals and two assists for 10 points in uh I wrote 17 games. That can't be right. Yeah, that's right, man. 10 points in 17 games. Okay, 10 points in 17 games. He has five goals on 33 shots at five on five, three goals on 12 shots on the power play. Uh, Two of those goals, by the way, last night on Saturday night, uh, neither of them scored with a hockey stick. One of them uh, scored off a skate that was uh, considered not a distinct kicking motion. The other one off his face. Elon, did you see this highlight? 
I did not. I don't know. How am I supposed to think about these two goals? I was like, this guy's hot with two goals. You're kind of making me think like he lucked into that. But hey, if you're on the top power play and pucks are being directed to the net, I guess you just got to get something in front of it and hope that it bounces off. So that's it. So and actually the the other one was super. So the face one, he was just dumped in front of the net, like cross checked, like like flat on the ice as he's getting up jordan osterley from the point like like rips a wrister and it goes like i think it was going in even if garland's face wasn't there so maybe osterley's mad that garland took the goal away from him with his face Uh, but it went off garland's face bloodied him and then still trickled into the net uh, it's a pretty great highlight, and I can say that because he was okay to come back and score this other weird goal where, again, another shot from the point like went over the net, hit the boards, like got a weird deflection to come back out in front of the net. Like Cam Talbot had no idea, not, neither did any of the Oilers defensemen, and Garland was just in the right place at the right time. Like He powered towards the net and was able to angle the gliding puck uh, into a semi-open net. So a couple lucky goals for Connor Garland. But like you said, Elon, he has a chance to be in the right place at the right time. And he has 47 shots in the 17 games he's played. So we know he's at least trying to make things happen. Again, what really interested me here about Connor Garland is that we don't know. <laughs> like like every r- report or scouting report I- I've seen about Connor Garland is like, uh, how, like he he could look good on the fourth line. I just don't know that he's ever been given a shot to have this offensive deployment before. So we're going to wait and see what happens with it. Uh, Arizona must be happy that Garland is stepping up, at least in the short term, to make up for the loss of Nick Schmaltz and, well, the disappointment of the rest of their roster offensively. Yeah, well, it's not even only Nick Schmaltz, right? Christian Dvorak is injured. Michael Grabner is injured. Like, at some point, someone like Connor Garland is going to get an opportunity, and he's running with it. And yeah, if you have an open spot, or if you want to try him out, like, get him on Wednesday next week. You don't have to grab him now, and then ride him for three games and see how he does. And by the way, Arizona is finally starting to win a couple games and a lot of that also must go to Darcy Kemper finally seeming to have settled in I think he's the starter now Brian at this point before we were talking about is it Kemper is it Aiden Hill maybe Calvin Pickard once he comes back up from the minors but Kemper's been playing a lot of games lately he's he has three straight wins now after beating the Oilers yesterday he's been over a 920 save percentage goalie over the past month so that's over nine games I you got to imagine Darcy Kemper if he's still in free agency in your leagues Brian I know you're not the biggest fan but I feel like even you are gonna say that Kemper should probably be owned in the majority of fantasy leagues right now like he seems to be the starter like he seems to be playing well like kind of what more can you want from a potential free agent goalie well i would want him to be outperforming his expected save percentage even strength for starters which he's not even close to doing but wait, uh, is that is that on the season or are you is that over the na- past nine games uh I didn't isolate to just the last nine yeah, games. But I, I, well, that's like, okay, let's say for sure he was bad before, but lately over the past month, he's like, seems to have found a switch. Maybe he's one of these types of goalies that needs to kind of get consistent play in order to get on a roll. Is that possible? So, I mean, he's only played 22 games. So what, like nine games, I think you can account for that here and still see that he's not even approaching his expected save percentage at even strength and still disappointing. What you would also see is that Kemper has a 944 save percentage on the penalty kill, which is insane. Like that should be closer to like 880 or 885. Uh, So that bubble's going to burst. And when it does, so will your goalie rate stats if you're rostering Kemper. Uh, by the way, the Calvin Pickard update, uh, 870 so far in three starts for Tucson of the AHL. So he's still working on his game. So Elon, I agree that Kemper appears to be the starter in Arizona, but he could be a bit of a paper tiger and I would not want to get 
overly invested or comfortable with him. That's fair. Okay, so let's say if you were deciding between Kemper and Jordan Binnington right now, I feel like Kemper is the more likely one to get like more starts for the rest of the season, but I do kind of like the upside of Binnington and this Blues team better. Who would you take between the two? I'll go Binnington. All right. Yeah, me too. I think. Yeah, I'm very excited about Bennington and the Blues. But also, Kemper, yeah, he's not going to, you know, win you your championship. But I feel like he's going to be a really serviceable guy, especially if he's like your third or fourth goalie. You're going to get a lot of games out of him. And hopefully uh, this stretch will keep going for a little while if you add him. Uh, Let's go to Ottawa now. Obviously not an unknown player, but someone who is unknown to get a lot of points, or at least over the past 10 years or so. Bobby Ryan got an assist yesterday on a Ryan Dezingle goal, and that brought him to a seven-game point streak. Yeah, Bobby Ryan. And no, this isn't 2010. This is 2000. 2019 and Bobby Ryan is on a 17 game or on a seven game point streak. I got too excited. Maybe in 10 games, we'll be talking about a 17 game point streak with the way he's going. He's now up to 28 points in 43 games. That's a 53 point pace. And of course, that's been steadily rising over these last seven games. And even more impressive, Matt Duchesne is out. He's like awaiting the birth of his child, just like you were away for three weeks or whatever. Like Duchesne is now missing some games for the Sens. And so Bobby Ryan's been playing with like Ryan Dezingle and JG Pajot over the last couple of games. So it's not like he's playing with a real star on that line that we could just give all the credit to. It must be Bobby Ryan. Ryan contributing somewhat though by the way speaking of Dezingle he scored that goal yesterday brought him to eight points in his last seven games and he and Ryan have both been playing on the top power play with Stone uh Brady Kachuk and I'm seeing Christian Wolanin as the t- defenseman on the top power play for the Sens yesterday so like also when I, who the heck is Christian Wolanin like what's going on with the Sens team and how is it that there's all these no names doing stuff like Christian Wolanin has a four game point streak or at least he did it got stopped yesterday in the Sens loss but it's not like he is doing nothing so yeah Brian like I think I'm gonna like deploy my team ranking request for the week you know I'm allowed to do this once a week without you getting too mad at me because there's all these Sens players that are probably available in free agency and I'd be curious to know who you'd want to grab and like I'm including forwards and defensemen here just like take like one of your leagues and imagine if you want to stream someone. They play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So you could get probably the Wednesday, Friday games because they're on off days. If you want to stream in Ascend, how would you rank the potentially available options of like Brady Kachuk, Dezingle, Bobby Ryan, Christian Willannon? I don't know if you want to throw another game into the name into the mix, like Pajot, Chris Tierney. Like how are you ranking all these sends that aren't obviously Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne? Okay, so again, Elon, one take at a time, please. Let's go way back when you started talking about Bobby Ryan. Do you remember when earlier this week I sent you a text and I asked you your thoughts on whether I should add B. Ryan? And you just went ahead and assumed that I made a typo and was actually talking about Brian Rust and just calling him by his first name. Like, that's how far from consciousness Bobby Ryan was Uh at that point, uh, but he's been looking really good lately, both on the score sheet and on the eyes. If you've been watching him play, he looks like he's got a little something extra these days, which is weird because he's had the opposite of extra for a fair for like most of the last several years now. I'm not sure what's gotten into Bobby Ryan or if it can last, uh, but he should be rostered right now ahead of guys like Brandon Tanev, for example, at least in non-hits league. I should say Tanev. I'm going to get heat for Tanev. Um, Kristen Wolanin, he's the son of uh, former NHL journeyman Craig Wolanin. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, he's uh, he's a center's defenseman prospect who has taken 10 shots over eight games. He scored on two of them. Uh, was a fourth-round pick of Ottawa back in 2015. And uh, I don't know. like He has some offensive pedigree. He had 35 points in 40 games in his last season at the University of North Dakota, which was the one 
season. Uh, well, it was his last season. Uh, and then he left before his senior year to join Belleville, uh, the Senators AHL affiliate. And uh, now Willanen, uh has 20, uh, sorry, 18 points as a 23 year old in 26 AHL games this season. And that I guess earned him the call up. So there is some offensive history for Christian Willanen. Uh I'm curious to see if that can actually translate to the NHL. Uh, we should also shut him out for hanging in quite well in shot attempt share also, particularly given his plight uh, having to be a defenseman for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, so that's my take on Willanen. Like, maybe you you might as well give him a shot. Like, we're, we were looking for Shabbat's replacement. It could very well be Willanen. Uh, he's taken over from Lejoie over the last couple games on the top power play unit. Um, okay, now you wanted me to rank all the Senators. This was your last take. I feel like it was more of a request than a take. Not everything I say is a take, Brian. <laughs> uh, I thought that I, I thought take was synonymous with sentence. <laughs> okay, so yeah, give me a ranking here. Like all these guys might be available, even Brady Kachuk, because he's been so slow lately. Yeah, except Brady Kachuk played the most minutes he's played in a short while on Saturday night. He played 17 minutes and picked up seven shots on goal. So anyone hanging on is probably going to hang on a little longer. If I had to pick today the senator as I wanted to own most, uh, the top group is obviously. I mean, it's really hard to to distinguish between Bobby Ryan, Ryan Dezingle, and Brady Kachuk. You could go with all three for different reasons. Bobby Ryan seems like he might pay the most immediate dividends. Ryan Dezingle seems like he might pay the most consistent dividends. And Brady Kachuk might pay the best long-term dividends. Like, honestly, that's... That's where I land. I don't see much of a difference in their production over the course of the rest of the year. I think I like Dezingle the most if I have to pick one guy and stick with him for the rest of the year, then Kachuk, then Ryan. But if I'm picking just for one week, I'm going Bobby Ryan. I should say Colin White would also be like the fourth person in this group, although he'd be last of the group, but he is injured for another week and a half. Um, And on the periphery in a super deep league, uh, Peugeot and Zach Smith, let's give them honorable mentions as guys who find themselves in the top six, but have less uh, inclination to produce over their career. You mentioned Chris Tierney, Elon, he keeps putting up points, but I see no reason why we should expect him to on a regular basis. Like I considered adding him in a few leagues this week because of his schedule and every time I looked at his number I was just like this guy's not going to do anything and then of course he did uh, but I still maintain that uh, like th- the logical choice is to not make any play for Chris Tierney yeah well especially if you could get Bobby Ryan or Ryan DeSingle who are also hot and it seems like you think that's a lot more sustainable and why not if you're on the top power play being quarterback by Christian Wolanin uh, okay Brian how about we talk about one more player and then we're going to bring in our awesome guest Ryan Volta who's going to tell us some tips and trends that can help you in fantasy really excited to get him on but Brian we got a couple minutes here so I want to squeeze in like maybe the biggest uh, no name is no name such a mean word what's another word I could be using for this list of players that I feel like are less prominent than the general ones that we talk about anonymous well, they're not anonymous. That was forgotten. A <laughs> okay, let me give you another take, Brian. On oh yeah, forgotten's pretty good. Okay, so let's talk about Marcus Pedersen on the Penguins. This is a defenseman. He was actually traded for uh, Daniel Sprung earlier in the season. That's how he got to the Penguins from the Ducks. He actually had a five-game assist streak that was broken yesterday in the Penguins' loss to LA. By the way, uh, Casey DeSmith was the goalie, so another game that DeSmith loses and makes Matt Murray more established as a starting goalie. But uh, yeah, Marcus Pedersen. Who is this guy? Like, is he on your radar at all? Like, he's getting all these assists, but he's not like a bit highly used player. Like, he doesn't play a lot of minutes. Is this like a situation kind of like what we were saying about Tanev? You know, if you're on a team that scores a lot of goals, you're just bound to get in on points every once in a while. 
I think that's essentially it. Although since coming to Pittsburgh in the seal uh, that sent Daniel Sprung to Anaheim, uh, Pedersen has seen uh, an uptick in how he's been used. And he's also generating more offense in both in terms of points and shot attempts. But yeah, he's nobody to reach for unless you're in a pretty deep league, still just barely average, averaging above one shot per game. He's still 22, uh, was a former second round pick of the Ducks. So honestly, I, do, I don't know what he really projects out to be, but whatever it is, uh, he's not going to realize a whole lot of potential buried where he is in the Pittsburgh lineup. Like you said, it's really just a function. He's around a lot of talented players. So he's going to pick up some secondary assists every Every so often. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, Pedersen isn't someone that I'm especially excited about. I know he was on this streak, but I feel like it's going to end now. He was rising the ranks on Yahoo for the most added players. So that's why I noticed him and thought I'd bring him up. But yeah, it's probably not going to keep going. There's other defensemen who I'd prefer that play more minutes. Since we're on the Pens, Brian, sad news about Patrick Horkfist suffered another concussion. But good news, I guess, that he's apparently already skating and could be back soon. Or at least, like, or is that good news? Like, maybe that's bad news that this guy's had four concussions in the past couple of seasons and he's still going to play soon. I wonder if that's maybe a flaw in the system, but who am I to judge? I'm not a doctor. That's probably also a topic for another podcast. Not really our bread and butter to discuss player health. Uh, By the way, also Zach Aston Reese is out long-term with an upper body injury. So with Horkvist and ZAR out, Evgeny Malkin has been flanked by Tanner Pearson and Dominic Simone over the past couple games. And surprise, surprise, they've both been getting points. Tanner Pearson scored versus Florida on Tuesday. He scored twice versus Anaheim on Friday. Nothing yesterday versus the Kings. Simone has five points in his last six games. The Penguins don't have a great schedule next week. They play Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday. But, you know, if you... If someone's interested in getting a penguin, I feel like you'd probably want to grab one of these guys while they're playing with Malkin, right? Is it just that simple? Yeah, it is that simple. Anyone playing with Evgeny Malkin interests me. Keep in mind that Tanner Pearson has been playing with one of Malkin or Kessel since coming to Pittsburgh and not doing much with them. So be interested, but not like silly excited or anything. Dominic Simone also was taking turns with Sidney Crosby earlier in the year. So sort of the same thing. Although you can line up his biggest disappearances in production with the times when he wasn't in the top six and when he was just returning from injury, like Simone has had a couple short runs of relevance this year with Sidney Crosby already. So I'm going to take Dominic Simone first, if I'm streaming in Simone or Pearson, Uh, but Pearson may be like a good Friday stream in a pretty deep league. I will point out that playing with Phil Kessel at even strength isn't that exciting. Like, I feel like you just said, like, playing with Malkin or Kessel, and you sort of said as if it's almost the same thing. Like, Kessel's fine at even strength, but he gets, like, almost, like, half of his points on the power play. I remember last year you were so excited about Derek Broussard because you were saying, like, at least he'll be able to play with Kessel, if not with Crosby or Malkin, and we saw what happened with him. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. But, yeah, I'm really into Pearson or Simone or anyone playing with Crosby or Malkin because they're just so good, and that's been the story for years and years and years. Okay, Brian, let's take a little bit of a break from talking about some of these lesser known players because we've got an amazing guest joining us on the call right now. His name is Ryan Bolta, and he's a content producer for a show that we've all been watching for years and years, TSN's That's Hockey. Ryan, like, thank you so much for joining us on the show. No problem, guys. How's it going? Yeah, it's, it's really good. We're just talking some fantasy hockey. Brian thinks that Tanner Pearson and Dominic Simone are going to tear up the NHL. <laughs> is <laughs> that what I said? I think that's I got what you said. I got to catch a little bit of the end of your guys' uh, segment that was going there. And when you guys are pitching more unknown names later, I don't know how much more unknown than you guys can get than the path that you guys are going down. Yeah. You guys dig dig pretty deep. I like it. 
You know, right? Normally, uh, we talk about more known players, but all these people are owned by people on their fantasy teams right now. So we're trying to, you know, make some deep cuts here. But okay, so you maybe can you just tell our listeners a little bit about like what you do for TSN? Like we chatted on the phone, and it was so interesting to me how you're like putting these stories and segments together. Would you mind like giving us like a quick couple minute, uh, you know, rundown? Yeah, for sure. So I work in. Uh... Essentially, it's the That's Hockey office, the TSN Hockey office. So our team that puts our show together is uh, there's five of us that are there all the time. And then we have a few guys that fill in uh, as well. So anywhere between kind of six and eight of us putting the show together each day. Uh, And the show goes to air every night at seven o'clock. So we come in around 1130 uh, and we're all pitching ideas and the producers building the lineup and we'll build our, my job would be to build any of the features and video that you would watch. So general rule when you're watching any like TSN or sports center, any of those shows, if you're not looking at the on-air person, someone wrote it for them. That's usually how it works. So if, if you can't see the host physically, then someone would have written that story or put together that feature for them. So I'm part of the team that puts those things together. Um, so yeah, we'll be pitching ideas on uh, a bunch of different things. So one of mine that I have in my belt was the Milan Lucic overpaid one that I've pitched like three years ago, like <laughs> the second he signed the contract, it took a little I- bit of time for everyone to warm up. <laughs> Yeah, and now you can like ru- you can probably run it on repeat now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually this year they came back and we're like, hey, want to just update the numbers and like roll through <laughs> that again? And I laughed. So my new one that I keep going at is the Carey Price overpaid one, which we haven't uh, settled on a way to tell that one yet, but that might be the uh, uh, the next one down the pipeline. But it's cool because I mean we're all weighing in on each other's stories and ideas. It's it's full of debate. It's kind of I was listening to the two of you go back and forth. Just imagine a room of eight of you every single day. Uh, and we don't always agree, but we we end up uh, getting to a good spot with a lot of smart people in the room. And it's cool when you have uh, the former GMs that are there as our analysts or Mike Johnson, who used to play in the league, or, I mean, Dave Reed and Dave Poole and uh, captains in the league. Uh, some really cool guys that are all around. And Gino Retta, of course, who, who leads our show. Uh, so it's really neat that we go through. And my job specifically is a lot of the writing I'm doing is trying to, like you guys are naming a lot of cool stats as you go. I'm usually trying to find that for the games that night. So I'm trying to give people some tips and trends to focus on. So whether they're betting on the games or they're just interested hockey observers, uh, they got some things to focus on on the game that are maybe a little bit less obvious. Because, I mean, everybody knows, like, Bruins Leafs, for example, will obviously hit the fact that, you know, the history that's been there over the last four or five years. But we might want to dig up some other stats that you start to make you go, hmm, okay, this might make some sense or add some context or make you think that it might turn around, which it, it did not. Um, but yeah, it's really cool just to go through every day and every day I get to go to work and just d- dive deep into hockey. Yeah, it sounds like such a dream job, I gotta tell you, Ryan. And yeah, I love this idea because we like look into all these stats to talk about players long term, but I'm really into sort of like, you know, when you're watching hockey broadcasts, I guess you're coming up with this stuff like, oh, this player actually is really good against Toronto specifically. So that's like a really good spot for him or like this goalie is really good on a back to back. So I love that you're uh, finding those stats. And so you're here today and you're going to share some tips and trends that can help you win fantasy. Brian and I have no idea what's coming. And I'm like so excited to hear what this you're a producer like yourself who's coming up with the stuff all the time, what you're going to throw at us. And I guess Brian and I will tell you if we agree or disagree. Maybe maybe we'll even have a fun debate at some point so yeah yeah, yeah really? i like that I, I came up with three things and i know that you guys obviously you have some educated listeners people aren't listening to a, a fantasy hockey podcast if they're not doing well at it uh and and you guys usually i'm sure have have laid out a lot of things so i tried to come up with a few things that might be a little bit uh 
a little bit different, let's say, but I do like that I didn't send any of them to you, so I get to get your guys' natural take on all of them. I think that's a fun way to go about this. So do you want me just to go kind of, we'll start at one and you guys can dive in and does that work? Yeah, sounds great. Let's start with the first one and see how it goes. All right. So one thing that I like to do, and this goes for any pool, but we'll stick to hockey for this one, obviously. But number one I had written down was identify players with bad press to target. So me personally at work, I'm writing stories that are positive and negative all the time about a 50-50 split. Lots of them are negative. I mentioned the Lucic one, which his family members wouldn't want to own him in a pool right now. But just an example of a player that's not doing too well. And a lot of times now we talk about whose contracts are bad, but because a player's contract is bad, doesn't mean he's not valuable in fantasy because you're not paying his salary. You're trying to get value from him in a different way. So what I would suggest is use your social media. You're everyone's on Twitter. Everyone's on all these different platforms. So be sharing hockey stories all the time, positive and negative. But when you find someone that you want to target that hasn't been very good lately and you think you can find value in, you share those stories. Your buddies are going to see them. You all follow each other. So you pepper in the negative press. You focus on the negative press. When you go to try and trade for a player, you bring up the negative press. And you say, I'm kind of interested in player X, but I don't know. I was reading on insert whatever website you got your story from. Let's say it's TSN for the sake of this story. Uh, I saw, but I saw on TSN, I saw on that's hockey or I saw on the website that I don't know, he's not doing so well. So you could try to drive that value down. Cause as you guys know, all of these players are just value propositions. Can I get more out of him than I have to pay? You guys earlier were talking a lot of waiver wire pickups. So that's the best you're paying nothing for them, but in trades, you do have to give something up. So who can you target and how can you knock their price down? So the easiest way that I always found was should be sharing lots of stuff. And then, like I said, kind of filter in the stuff as needed uh, to try and focus on those negatives so that when you go, maybe you could drop the price from a dollar to 80 cents by saying, hey man, I've seen these two articles that say Pasternak hasn't been great with Bergeron out or whatever the story may be. Yeah, this is genius. I love it. It sounds like psychological warfare, almost. Like you're saying, if I let's say if I want to target Bobrovsky right now in one of my leagues, you know, there's some articles being written now about how, you know, he was suspended internally for that one game. So you just, you don't necessarily go, don't be too obvious. You're saying like, maybe tweet out some yeah, articles. Like, exactly. Like if you're the guy who, like I said, if all you're doing is going to a guy and being like, hey, I heard Bobrovsky's been terrible. I don't know if I want him, but like, what's the price? That becomes a little bit glaring after a little bit of time. But like I said, people are following your Twitter all the time. I see all of my buddies' tweets all the time. So if they were just trying to filter some information out to me, I probably wouldn't even know it, and I'd I'd come across it. I, I feel like the the challenge here would be to be so tactful about it. Like I would probably all I'd probably be doing if I tried this strategy was just signaling to everybody who my trade targets are. Like I would not be that that good at it. I, I feel like there's a real like. Uh, like social IQ piece to to really know like the ratio of of subliminal subliminal messaging uh, tweets that you're pumping into your friend's timeline to like just general news like one out of every four uh, is like trying to get at uh, like knocking down the value of a right. trade target or pumping up the value of one of your own assets like I have a guy in one of my leagues who like will come at me with a trade. And will tell me exactly why it's such a great trade for me, though. And I'll just be like, right. no, like that's, so, that's nonsense. So that's the thing, right? So that's way too obvious. That's too, he's coming at you way too strong. Yeah, so this is I it. So what he it. should do is he should ask me to follow him on Twitter and then like make his his feed like a propaganda uh, <laughs> even, sort of tool. So, 
how, how I would probably do it and how I have done it in other pools is I'm sharing things all the time, right? Say you're doing this, you're sharing things all the time. Yeah. You share positive things on the guys that you know you're not actually you're not actually helping anybody by sharing. Example, I find a positive Connor McDavid article. I'm sending it out there. I'm not really giving anybody information they don't have. Everybody right. already knew that. So I'm not actually boosting anybody. Everyone knows he's at 100% on your team. I'm not actually helping you. But if I post the positive articles too, and then every once in a while I sprinkle out a negative tweet or you know a tweet that, hey, I heard this stat blah, 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 whatever. And your buddies see it, or you just introduce a chat topic. I'm sure you guys have group chats with the guys in the pool. So it's not as obvious when you're saying, Hey, I heard this negative thing about Bobrovsky. If the last couple things you said were, Oh my God, did you see this awesome McDavid stat? Or <laughs> I saw this awesome, awesome Matthew stat. Don't go at the guys that you were just talking about the hidden gems that you're actually keeping an eye on. You don't want to tip people off. But if people start seeing, Hey, Generally speaking, Brian says a lot of positive stuff, some negative stuff. He actually is bringing up some good ideas here. Then maybe it's just something that you're planting seeds in guys' mind. Yeah, I, I think it's really funny. Uh, but I do want to let our listeners know that anything out of the official Keeping Carlson account is not propaganda. It's, it's actually... <laughs> we are not, this whole podcast is not just a long con to get everybody to join us in the cuckupful and then win. It's a really long con. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm uh, very curious to hear your second tip now. The first one was a lot of fun. Sure. Uh, the second one for me is buy pre-trade deadline. So uh, at TSN, we have our trade bait board. I'm sure that they exist all over the internet uh, on guys that could be moved. So identify players that you think will move. And in all likelihood, they're getting traded to a better spot. So you mentioned Bobrovsky. Uh, I'm thinking Jonathan Quick as well as another one. I'm trying to figure out who's going to end up in Calgary as their goalie would be one that I think will have a lot of value. But identifying these players and trading for them well before any of this really heats up. If you can grab them, let's say, a month in advance, it's right, going to be before that value ticks up. So you might be able to buy a player that even if the player, the person trading them thinks they're getting their great value on it, his value is going to change exponentially a month from now down the line. The risk in that is a lot of there's a lot less trades now at the deadline. So you might end up getting stuck with Jonathan Quick in Los Angeles and he doesn't go anywhere. And then you might have paid a little bit too much. But if you're active and you grab a bunch of these guys or you're able to identify the ones that you really want or you really expect to move by looking at their contracts. I use cap friendly all the time to try and figure out who's really on the move and where they could be headed. And you guys look a lot at who's going to be playing on power plays and who's going to be playing on whose line, those sorts of situations. If you can try to identify some of that and go ahead, then I'd probably start to try and buy the pre-deadline guys now. So identify maybe five targets. You might not be able to get them all. Maybe the person on the other end doesn't want them. But be very, very early in your pre-deadline things. Right. So that, that's really interesting because I actually thought you were going to go the other way with this and say like you don't know what's going to happen to a player's value when they're traded. So if there's somebody who's going to have some hype building up for them to get moved on the deadline and you have, say, Mark Stone or Matt Duchesne and you don't know, uh, maybe more Matt Duchesne, you don't know if he's going to be a number one center on whatever team that he does get moved to because they're likely going to be a playoff contender or a Stanley Cup contender, then maybe you get out from him now like you know exactly what he's worth now you can even make like a parallel trade and all you're doing is trying to hold on to the value that he already offers you but you were actually saying the like you were saying the inverse right which was like yeah go and get the guys who are going to move teams because once they move teams everyone's going to be super pumped about them and their price goes up 
Yeah, well, it sounds to me like you do you do either, right? It's like you have to come up with your best guess of if a player's value is going to go up or down. And then you're saying, Ryan, think about this now. Don't wait till when everyone's talking about it in a month. Now is the time to start thinking about who's going to get traded and what are the chances that their value goes up or down. Part of it is an evaluation of your own roster, too. If you're in a spot, let's say, where uh, let's say you're in a 12-team league and you're in six, you're looking for a home run. So status quo is not going to get you there. So you might be in home run mode where I'd be more aggressive on the strategy that I just explained because you're trying to make up ground. If you're in a money spot, let's say, or you're in first or second, you might be more liable to go the other way and just be trying to hold your position and deal with more what you know than the what if scenario I especially like what you're saying about how like if you're doing well don't worry about it but if you're losing and you really need to shake things up the best maybe lottery ticket like chance to improve is take a shot on some guys that might have value improvements at the trade deadline but you get them for their value now so i'll throw out some names of players who are uh, going to be unrestricted free agents at the end of the season and then you know people could think about whether these are players that are likely to be traded or not and like brian and i don't get try not to get into too much speculation because a lot of it doesn't end up coming true but some names to maybe think about you got uh Bobrovsky of course Mark Stone Eric Carlson but he's, he's not going anywhere Sharks are gonna win the cup this year uh, that's why I'm wearing this hat uh Artemi Panarin uh Duchesne Eberly, Joe Pavelski Varlamov Jeff Skinner though he's I think is gonna stick on uh Buffalo so those are some names to think about Jimmy Howard might get moved maybe he becomes the Calgary goalie I don't know uh Derek Broussard Alex Edler actually is an interesting guy who's gonna be a UFA and Vancouver isn't looking to contend uh so those are some names to think about and yeah I like that tip and so did you just throw... Oh, oh, by the way, another name I'll mention or another thing to think about here is if, for example, Bobrovsky gets traded, that also means something good. Like if they don't get another goalie back, all of a sudden Yunus Corposalo would become the starting goalie on Columbus. And we've seen over the past couple of games what that might look like. And not, not too bad. Columbus is a pretty good team. They've got some uh, good defensemen there in Seth Jones and Marensky. And like, I feel like having a goalie there would be good. So keep your eye also on someone like Corposalo. Maybe you add him now waiting for the potential, even if there's only like a 25% chance, but maybe he's the starting goalie in a month. So who knows? Uh, okay, you got one more tip for us, Ryan? I do. The, uh, the most likely one that I think you guys might fight me on. We'll have some fun here. Uh, number three has two parts. Be busy. That I think we all agree with. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously interested in making a lot of moves and finding the gem. So be busy. We all agree with. The second half, lose moves. Brian mentioned the guy in his pool, and he said that you know he always comes at him really aggressively, and he, he's shied away from wanting to deal with that person in trades. We all have those guys in our pool that we don't want to talk to anymore. <laughs> Be okay with losing moves to the right people in your pool. If there are guys that are always in the bottom three and always in the bottom four that are susceptible to losing trades, you're okay to lose one or two to them. So if you identify someone on your team that you don't, if you're in a keeper league, you have a guy that's not a long-term keeper, lose him in a deal to the guys in the bottom. Be okay with losing a deal. I'm not saying throw him away in something that's really obvious, but be okay with taking a risk maybe and making a deal that that person wins off of you. Because now you're building a relationship with this person over the years that your pool have gone on, that when you talk to him next time, you get to go to him and say, I like us dealing with each other. We both take it honestly. I've won some. You've won some. Remember when I gave you player X, you robbed me of that guy. Now I'm interested in this person. And they're not going to be shy to deal with you because they're going to think back to, hey, I got player X that time from him. So he's playing this straight up with me. He's not like the guy that Brian mentioned that just comes at me and explains how awesome this is for me. And it never works out for me. So I'm not saying you intentionally lose deals, but try to deal with them a little bit more often. If you have a player that you're okay with getting rid of, if you 
realize you're not a money team and you have a non-keeper, funnel him to one of the guys at the bottom so you could use him as your example down the line that said, hey, remember when I gave you uh, Hyman? And then he was on that great stretch with Matthews and stuff. And, oh, man, you got me that time. And then I got you this time. But then when you're talking over beers, you're talking over making a trade, they feel like you, you guys both have a chance of winning the deal. Because if I made five deals in a row with either one of you and you beat me all five times, guess what? I'm not doing a sixth time talking to either one of you. We're all trying to find the Peter Torelli in our uh, in our pool. <laughs> right. So yeah. if you identify him, but if you just rob Torelli three times, guess what? He's not calling you on the four. Well, so let's not let's not give Peter Torelli too much credit. Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, try and, and like I said, it might not be outright losing and you're not maybe making something super obvious, but make really fair deals. You don't have to try and, and that's the other part of this. You don't have to hit a home run on every trade you make. Even if there's someone on the bottom of the pool that you think that you might be able to take a little bit of an advantage of because you listen to this podcast and you do a lot more research and you might know something that they don't. I mean, you don't necessarily need to go for the absolute home run. Would you rather hit five triples or one home run? Like I had a guy in one of my hockey pools. I robbed him of Ray Emery like eight years ago. We've never made a trade since. (laughs) Not once. Has he ever, because you just remember he lost that trade. He got made fun of till the end of the year. And it's now just a, I'm never talking to him about trade again. So I, I crushed him on that deal and it helped me that year. But did I win or lose? Because now he's still making deals with everybody else. And then I'm out here and I can't make deals with them. And like, I totally agree. Like it's all about building relationships the whole way through the season. So that when you do get to a point where you need to make a big move, you've got people who've had some positive interactions with you and you can go back to that well and try and make something happen. Like, so so you're, you're doing a lot of pre-work to, to set them up. And then when you're ready to knock them down, you try and go grab that big deal if you've identified somebody that, I mean, you guys do a lot of deep digging. You guys are looking at who guys are playing coming up and stuff like that. Some things that other guys may not know. So if you watch a guy on your team that's trending okay, but you're okay with getting rid of him because you realize that it's probably maybe, you know, it's not going that well for this much longer. You guys mentioned Bobby Ryan. If you own Bobby Ryan right now, uh, how much longer is this going to go on for? So maybe you identify him as a piece that I'm okay with giving him away. And if it does last for another two weeks instead of two games, then whatever. He got himself a big name. So then you look to the bottom pool, try and make a deal. And like I said, you're just buying yourself equity for later. And they're not all scams. You can genuinely build relationships. You're genuinely trying to build them so that you're coming across as a nice guy. Everyone's irritated by the guy in their pool that only talks bad about your guys, only talks good about his guys, and only comes at you with really one-sided deals. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like this idea of like, if I have Bobby Ryan and I'm planning maybe on dropping him for someone else anyways, but he's on this hot streak, why not just message someone and be like, hey, I'll give him to you for like some garbage, something you don't even want. You know, And then you drop the garbage for whatever you want three days later. You text yeah. the guy that you traded with and you go, dude, you robbed me. I thought I was getting something out of <laughs> player Y that I got from you for Bobby Ryan. He was trying trash i'm gonna remember this next time so this is so funny now like, when you message him you bring up you got okay i need you not to do the bobby ryan thing to me again but i'm interested in a player on your team so you now have this funny thing that you can go back to and you're not always on the winning end 
Yeah, it's reminding me a lot of my older days playing like Settlers of Catan, and I had like my same roommates in school that I played games with over <laughs> and over again. So, like I didn't want to like always steal from the same person because then I knew that over time they would never trade with me. Sounds like yeah. the same thing. It's almost like a prisoner's dilemma thing. Like the longer the relationship lasts, the more often you need to not uh, steal from them. I like it. I like this idea of trading away the players you want to drop and making the other person feel like they got a good deal. It's very, it's very clever. Okay, I wanted to disagree with you more. But uh, no, I think these are all fun ideas. Thanks so much for sharing them. And how about, Ryan, do you want to stick with us while we go through the rest of the players we had uh, queued up for today's show? Yeah, sure. I'll see if I can toss anything in there. All right. So where was I here? We just talked about the Penguins and uh, Marcus Pedersen and, and those people. Okay, let's go to San Jose now. Here's another player who's been scorching that you know no one expected much from going into the season. Eunice Donskoy has been on a line with Tomas Hurdle and Evander Kane, and he was riding a streak of eight goals and two assists in his previous eight games going into yesterday's game versus Ottawa. Unfortunately, he actually left yesterday's game with an upper body injury and didn't return. So we'll have to wait and see if the injury is serious or not. But I guess like regardless, I'm curious to know, Brian, like what do you think of this run? Like is this something sustainable? Like those are pretty good line mates. Eunice Donskoy went on decent runs last year as well. I remember he had trouble though getting injured right when he was on good runs. Unfortunately, it's happening again. But if he's healthy, do you think it's time for people to jump on? And if not, maybe he's someone you stash for when he will be available. So maybe Brian, you could give your answer then afterwards so we could see what Brian thinks. Right. Well, yeah. Eunice Donskoy and Evander Kane have been on fire lately. The question is, who's pulling or pushing? Who? Uh, first off, let's take a moment to recognize Evander Kane, who had a real dry spell through all of November. People will, were asking us if he should be dropped. Uh, he's been a point-per-game player in his last 18 games, 9 goals, 9 assists for 18 points in that stretch with 59 shots, so still averaging over 3 shots per game. Uh, and Donskoy has been there with him for all of that. But again, the question is, uh, who's benefiting from who? Since November 29th, Eunice Donskoy has 8 goals in 8 games, and Evander Andrew Kane has picked up the assist on five of those eight goals. Uh, the thing is about Donskoy's eight goals is that they've come on 16 shots. So he's scoring half the time he puts a puck on net. So uh, that's to say, enjoy Donskoy while he's hot. But I don't think we're looking at a new lineup mainstay here for your fantasy roster. Also, I don't think we're looking at a point per game Evander Kane either. So keep that in mind. Still a very good Evander Kane, but not quite point per game. Uh, But that doesn't mean that Donskoy hasn't been a great streamer all year. And that's how you should continue to consider him. If he's available on a day where you can get an extra game played and you've got the moves to make, uh, he's been really worth a stream more often than not throughout this season. So yeah, uh, don't uh, don't expect Donskoy to keep scoring on one out of every two shots he takes, but expect him to contribute uh, irregularly enough to still be worth streaming into your lineup every so often. Yeah, I feel like San Jose is turning into one of those teams that, that kind of has like a top nine. Like you've got good players on three of their lines. So that allows people like Eunice Donskoy to produce because they've got Couture on one line, like Joe Thornton on another, and Timo Myers playing with Couture. And anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. And Donskoy, yeah, has been in a good spot. And I'm curious to see what will happen when he comes back. Obviously, he's not going to keep scoring on so many of his shots, but still. One okay, thing ahead. I'd add on him there is when you go through the numbers, he's played more than 13 minutes twice in the last 10 games. Now, the last one he did get injured, but he likely wasn't headed at to beat that clip either. So it's a lot of production with a little bit of ice time. So you need to weigh the the back and forth and decide, is the coach going to see that and give him a little bit more ice time to run with? Or is it more likely that this is probably maybe a little bit of puck luck? I do like the connection with Evander Kane. I think Evander Kane's very good. I don't know if he's a point per game like Brian mentioned, but I do really like him as a player. Uh, but 
Donskoy might be a really, really, really deep play if you need one, or probably just think that uh, you'd be buying what happened in the past more than what you think is going to happen in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, the ice time thing is a very good point. Uh, obviously, you want to have a player that's playing in a more sustainable role. Though, if he's you know playing with Evander Kane, maybe that's a good chance. Kane is able to get points sometimes with not that much ice time. Bummer for him that he hasn't been getting the top power play time that maybe we were expecting going into the season. Okay, but if you think that Donskoy is a deep cut, how about this one? How about Michael Frolik over on Calgary? He actually got back on the Backland Kachuk line on Friday. He had been toiling in the bottom six for a little bit, and he took full advantage. He scored a goal and assisted on two others versus the you know, Florida Panthers, sad Roberto Luongo, as he's turned out to be. Uh, this was actually for League's second straight game with a goal, and he now goes into today's game riding a four goal and four assist in his last seven games run. So Michael Froelich has been hot, hot, hot. And Calgary plays Wednesday, Friday, Saturday of next week. So Brian, like, do you think that Froelich makes for a good midweek stream, just like a couple of these other guys, these Ottawa guys have been talking about? Because a lot of people are going to have room on their roster on Wednesday and Friday and are going to maybe have to, you know, bench a player on Tuesday or Saturday. So maybe you drop that guy, get Froelich, get a couple of games. I think he can keep this hot streak going while he's playing on the second line. Michael Froelich has had a really strange year. He was healthy scratched earlier this season, which is not something that happens to Michael Froelich. And then he saw his ice time dip under 10 minutes for a while. And on the whole, uh, he's been seeing four or five minutes less of ice per game compared to the last couple of years. Like, I don't know what Michael Froelich did to Bill Peters or his family, but it must have been bad. Uh, anyway, uh, Michael Froelich's agent had clearly had enough of this. And uh, Alan Walsh tweeted about how Froelich wasn't playing enough. Uh, uh, this was on New Year's Eve. And lo and behold, Soon after that, Froelich got a bump in deployment in ice time, got back together with Kachuk and Backlund for most of the last eight games since, and there have been great results, both in Froelich's scoring, but that's not actually what he's on that second line for. Froelich is on that second line because he's one of the best two-way players the Calgary lineup has, and you can clearly see how much better Kachuk and Backlund fare in shot attempt share with Froelich on their line than when they're without him. Um, so Froelich, because he's playing up there, uh, getting top six minutes with Matthew Kachuk, makes him a really good stream. And Elon, you make a good point about goal scoring in Calgary, which we kind of made last week, which is that they score so many goals. So uh, whoever is playing enough minutes is going to get in on them every so often. Uh, so it, it's always worth a shot to stream in micro Froelich. Just keep your expectations tempered. He's the least offensive player in their top six. I like the idea that, I mean, his he's plus 10. Bill Peters really appreciates, like you mentioned, his two-way game. So I think that his run up in this part of the lineup might be longer than people might expect. Uh, you're getting just an unreal amount of offense out of that top line. So if you're Bill Peters, you're looking for that second line to absolutely contribute, but you're just trying to beat the other team. You're not trying to uh, outscore them as aggressively as you would if you didn't have that best top line in hockey or second best top line probably behind uh, the Avalanche's top line. But I think that Froley could stay there for a little bit and pick up some some decent points just based on opportunity, based on playing uh, the other team's second best pairings other than you know the ones that are wasting a lot of their energy on that top unit. Uh, I, I think he's a decent play. I like him a lot more than the first one you mentioned, Elon. 
Uh, okay, so for a leak over Yunus Donskoy, and let's see how you'll compare. Okay, this is a guy I'll bet has been talked about on TSN a lot. He's been all over like our Twitter feed and Facebook group. Like everyone's talking about what's going on with Brandon Peary. So he he wasn't nobody before, like a few weeks ago. Now he's on everyone's mind because this guy is is on fire, and he's been going through a saga because he keeps on getting called up and sent down. I think it's been like ten thousand times since last week that Brandon Peary's been up and down uh, from the minors and then back to the Vegas top line and like top power play. But overall, we're talking about a guy who now has 11 points in 10 games and with Riley Smith injured Brandon Peary took on a turn on line one with Marshall Stone Carlson yesterday he seems to be fitting right in and also he's been seeing top power play time and like why not like Brandon Peary keeps getting points why not give him all the opportunities the thing is we still don't know like where he fits in once everyone in the original Vegas top six is healthy like the top six we expected going into the year there's always either been Stasny injured or Pacioretty injured and now Riley Smith injured but like, I wonder if they're going to find a way to make room for Brandon Peary. He just got left wing eligibility on Yahoo. So that makes him a lot easier to roster in a lot of formats. And he's running out of games where he can be sent down without having to clear waivers. So I'm curious to know what you guys think. Like, is it now time for people to finally grab Brandon Peary out of free agency if he's still out there like before it's too late and you regret it for the rest of the season when he continues to be a point per game guy all the way through? Or is he the type of guy who maybe if you do have him now is now the time to sell high just because eventually once Vegas is fully healthy, he'll end up, there's a good chance that he'll end up getting dropped and be a bottom sixer. If you're wondering whether or not now is the time to pick up Brandon Perry, I feel like you've probably missed the boat. Like I feel like he's been snapped up. And even if he was dropped when he was sent down on paper, uh, at least one of the couple times that's happened in, in the last week or so, then he's probably been re-added again since then. So look, if Brandon Peary happens to be available, or if you're a Peary owner, as I am in one of my leagues, look, he, he's always a risk to get sent down because he's got the most flexible two-way contract of anybody Vegas does not want to lose from their roster through waivers. Um, so the question is, uh, how tolerant will you be if, for that reason, Brandon Peary gets sent down again at some point or misses a game here and there? If you can handle that, I think it's worth it. Um, if you can't, shop around, I guess, see if anyone in your in your league is a believer that he can continue this 90-point pace he's on. Like, I would happily take any player who's going to get you, like, 55 points for the rest of the season. That's, like, a, a, a sort of a standard uh, statement. Like, it depends on your league and what kind of free agents are available. But if you can find somebody who's, say, I don't know, 5, 10 points better than the top free agent uh, in free agency right now, I would happily swap out Brandon Perry and the risk of Brandon Perry getting sent down for that player. But don't forget, Brian, like I said, they can't send him down forever. Once he plays, a certain, apparently like he has like one or two more games and then they can't send him down anymore. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, that's the bet you're making though, right? Is Are they going to give him those couple games? I feel like they are. And then they'll sort it out at the trade deadline or something. Um, so, but then again, if he does stay up, how long can he stay in the top six? So it sounds like you're not a believer. It sounds like you're saying he's not going to be able to keep this up and get rid of him. So I like Brandon Perry. And I mean, we've had this conversation on the show where it's like, we believe he can do something if he's given the minutes in deployment. It's just a matter, I don't know that Vegas has the minutes in deployment to give him. Once Riley Smith is healthy, their top six is pretty full. I wrote yeah. the story when he first came up that he had eight goals and eight games and played with Vegas and he kept getting sent back down. Now he's up, and you mentioned the 11 points. I, I kind of look at the easier sales pitch. If you are selling the guy, he has 10 goals in 11 career games with Vegas. 
So it's if he plays, he scores. So it's a very attractive looking thing to just say, how is this guy not going to get some more run? At some point, you need to look at him and be like, you'd think that Gerard Gallant looks and says, hey, I, I kind of got to keep this guy out there somewhere. And I also think maybe we don't need to be so like stuck with this top six idea. Like maybe they could become a top nine team. Well, maybe they could split it up. Like maybe they could have like Paul Stasny centering Pacioretty and like whoever, like get Cody Eakin there and then have Brandon Peary playing with Alex Tuck. You know, you know, like maybe you take like two good pieces out of those four good guys who could potentially be on the second line. Like, you know, Stasny, Pacioretty and Tuck and Brandon Peary, maybe split them into two lines. Like, I think there is a way where Peary could still be a big part of the offense. And it looks like Vegas has been sort of going with two, power play units lately like in the last game they had William Carlson and Marcia so on one power play unit and then they had Pacioretty Peary Stasny and Tuck on the other one so this could be a situation where they'll find a way for Peary to still be an offensive contributor and I'd be holding on right now I don't think you can get so much room in a trade so I actually think if I could get him right now I would I would hold him and I'm expecting him to be able to have an opportunity like they've, they've seen that he could he could help them win Elon, can I ask, what would you give up for to acquire Brandon Peary if he's owned by another team? Like, would you trade for him? Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, I guess I have to look at my roster and see. Like, I'd have to get the offer. Like, I think that he's a guy who it would be really fun to take a flyer on right now because, like, now's still the time when no one's going to believe on him. Like, you know, they're going to be like you. So, obviously, I'm not going to trade like Vladimir Tarasenko to get Brandon Peary. But if I'm getting an offer, I don't know. Like, Brian, how about uh, like Furland? Is that like a good comparison? Oh, uh, top line Furland is pretty hard to give up. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. So I guess I'll tweet it out. So at Kevin Carlson, I'll be curious to know what people think. I don't know. I have a hunch that Peary's going to stay in and they'll find a way to get him on a decent line somehow. Uh, and by the way, speaking of Furland, Mr. Uh, incorrectly spelled first name, Michael Furland with the E before the A for some reason, he is back on the top line for the Hurricanes with Aho and Tara Vinen. Uh, he cemented his return to that spot with a big one goal, two assists, uh, plus four game on Friday versus the Sabres. He's obviously not a nobody. Like He had a tremendous start to the season, but he may have been dropped to free agency in shallower leagues. He had gone cold for a little bit and was off the top line, like I said. Yeah, obviously, you're saying you like him a lot more than Brandon Peary. So uh, is he? He's obviously you have to scoop up Michael Furland right now. It's not even a question. Like I'll just say it, and then you could concur, you guys. And also, I should mention that Justin Williams on Carolina is currently riding a four-game goal streak and a six-game point streak. So he and Michael Furland are really uh, going well right now for Carolina. And I believe Carolina won today, or they're still going. Williams scored, so it's now a five-game goal streak. So Justin Williams is on a, a real roll here, and he's uh, going into today at 25 shots. In his last seven games, which is paying dividends for goal scoring. So Justin Williams, a great ad, uh, if, especially if shots are counted in your format. Elon, I didn't say that I like Furland a lot more than Brandon Peary. I think each guy has a, a similar chance of being left out of their top six at some point. And I think both guys being left out of their top six are in some measure of trouble. Although maybe Brandon Peary I could trust a little more uh, if he's playing on the third line to try and score a goal rather than Michael Furland to pick up a point. Um, but there's a pretty good chance that Furland might have been dropped in your league when he was bumped off the top line, uh, got injured, came back, was still off the top line. So check your free agency lists and, uh, and grab him for as long as he's there. And of course, this means that neither uh, Svechnikov nor Brock McGinn are still on that top line. If I can chime in for a sec, Furland is on our TSN lists, really likely to be dealt at the deadline. Pierre Lebrun was saying this week that they're shopping him. Uh, he's on the trade market. So when I was going on my try and be in early on guys who could move to good situations, he'd be one that A, I believe he's going to move and B, like you guys said, I don't think the price is very high. He could even be available on your waiver wire. 
So he would be a person that I would target because you never know. And if he ends up in a spot where he ends up on a really deep team and he's playing third and fourth line minutes, you can always get rid of him. And it didn't cost you very much to get him. But who knows where he ends up and he might end up with a a decent spot in a really good lineup. But I do believe he's definitely headed somewhere before the trade deadline. So even if he does move, though, it's hard to imagine. Like, he's playing with Sebastian Ajo and Toivo Teravainen. I, like, I can't see it getting much better for him. Although we did say that when he left Calgary and was playing with Godreau and Monaghan, it's like, well, Calgary used him as a top-line player. I wouldn't expect Carolina to, and sure enough, he ended up there. So maybe another team will see that also. But I would also imagine that a playoff contending team that's the thing with a, with with a, with players who are being traded to to other playoff contenders it's like these are Stanley Cup potential winning teams they don't have many holes in their lineup so i wouldn't expect there to be a hole on some team's top line for michael furland to jump into so i'm actually going to take the the tack if i'm a furland owner and like let's say i 100% know he's going to get dealt but i don't know where I'm trying to offload him while he's playing with Ajo and Teravainen. Yeah, I think I might agree. I, I like the spirit of your suggestion, Ryan. Like, it's really useful to know that he's going to get traded. But I feel like, yeah, if another team's acquiring him, it's probably for more of a depth uh, piece. But yeah, it's like it's really interesting. If that's going to happen, then it, it does make me think that maybe you want to dump Furland, especially like he had another good game today, two assists. And yeah, I guess Carolina's probably not going to make the playoffs again because of goaltending. So either Curtis McElhenney has been good, but yeah, maybe he'll get traded just because he's going to be a free agent. Interesting. I did I, that wasn't on my radar at all. So that's cool. I actually saw today that like maybe he's going to go to Cal back to Calgary, which is weird. But okay, if he bumps, if he bumps Elias Lindholm, Brian, <laughs> could you imagine? I would be so mad. <laughs> Okay, so Brian and Ryan, before we get to some injuries and outjuries, a little lightning round to close out the show, I want to take a second to really thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Your tips and tricks. I didn't expect it to go in that direction of like sort of this psychological, like how to manipulate people. And I love it. That's a fun part of fantasy that I feel like a lot of people don't think about. So thank you so much for joining and also sharing some of your insight on all these players. Uh, So Ryan Volta, can you tell people like how they can follow you, like anything you want to promote before you go? Yeah, for sure. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at I am Bolta. Uh, and I guess the easiest way to follow any of what I'm doing is just tune in to 7-Eleven That's Hockey. It's every night. Uh, if you're on the East Coast, it's at uh, 7 p.m. on TSN. You can find us. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, if I had cable, I would definitely be watching. There must be a way for me to download the show or something. And, and, and lots, of our, uh, lots of our segments go up on TSN.ca too. A lot of our big features and, uh, and our hits and stuff like that. So you can watch a ton of it there as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so tsn.ca, obviously a great site. Uh, Thank you so much again for joining us. Have a great uh, dinner tonight. I know you have to go prepare for a big fancy dinner. I do a plain iron chef out in the backyard barbecuing midwinter. So hopefully we do do okay. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. I hope you don't freeze. And yeah, thanks again. This was really great. Enjoy, fellas. Okay, let's end the show with some injuries, outjuries, some weird roster things. Uh, last week, we talked about the Ducks and how Cam Fowler and Ricard Raquel would be returning. Uh, let's check in and see how they're doing going into today's game versus Winnipeg. Ricard Raquel has been playing with Getzlaff and Daniel Sprong. So Getzlaff, as we were expecting, top line, top power play. He had an assist and, and five shots in two games so far. So not great, not terrible. Probably still a decent buy low, I would think. Like, he pr- could probably go off any night. Like, and I'm just not scoring many goals, so you're not seeing much. Like, Cam Fowler actually has been getting big minutes. He's been manning the top power play. He's played three games now and has a grand total of zero points, one shot, one hit, two blocks in three games. Boo! Boo, Cam Fowler. That's not good at all. Uh, I'd be curious to know, do you think that Fowler owners should be panicking like, is this face mask thing hindering him? 
Is it just that the Ducks suck and you don't think it'll happen? Like, you know, he won't be able to do well. Like, they even lost to the Sens. They made Anders Nilsson look good, for goodness sake. So that's not good. See, so I'm just curious to get your take. Is Cam Fowler done? Or is it just like, whoa, dude, hold your horses, slow down. He's going to be fine. He just got back. I mean, I've seen this theory that uh, Cam Fowler's face mask is going to hinder him. And and like, it very well might. I can't tell you if it will or won't. Uh, I can tell you that I still think he should end up on a 40 point pace maybe he's less likely to block a shot or throw a hit maybe there's an adjustment period for learning to play with the face mask um but otherwise like Cam Fowler's had a 40 point pace in three of the four seasons that he's had the top power play role for most of the year in Anaheim so if he holds the top power play role I expect him to do the same and also keep in mind Elon when you asked me about was it Raquel last week uh, not scoring and I pointed out or or gets laugh I think it was and I pointed out how rarely the Ducks score uh since then they have managed uh, they they got shut out and then they scored one goal and then they finally scored four goals against Pittsburgh but still five goals over three games not a lot of action for Cam Fowler to get in on necessarily so let's just let's just wait before totally uh jumping off the Cam Fowler train yeah, no, I mean, at some point, Brian, you get to a point where you say maybe the fact that Anaheim doesn't score is a bad thing because maybe they won't pick it up. Maybe they're having <laughs> yes. some actual trouble. Yeah, that's true. We just like need to make sure we're we're placing the blame in the right area and saying it's not all Cam Fowler. It's also the team he plays for. But you're right. If Anaheim doesn't figure it out and they're not really on track to doing that, you can expect fewer goals to be coming out of Anaheim. Yeah, but let's give it at least another week. Let's see how Fowler does next week. I think Anaheim plays like four games, so we'll get a good chance to get a bigger sample size here. Mike Green returned to the Red Wings on Friday, another defenseman, no points, but five shots. And then yesterday versus Minnesota, he picked up an assist on one of Tyler Bertuzzi's three goals. How about that? Tyler Bertuzzi, line one. Anthony Mantha came back, not on line one. Tyler Bertuzzi's still there. Uh, But anyways, uh, big minutes for Mike Green, just like Camp Fowler. Who would you rather have rest of the season between Mike Green and Camp Fowler? I'm going to take Mike Green. I think that that top power play in in Detroit is okay. I mean, they they feel pretty similar uh, because Green's got Larkin, Fowler's got Getzlaff, but Green seems more like the only player capable of doing his job in Detroit. Of course, he's a bit more of an injury risk, so be wary of that. And yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi, we talked about him last week. I said, you want the guy playing with Larkin? And then he really let me down in his first couple games of the week. But then he scored three times on five shots for a hat trick, which was great. So hopefully anybody who picked him up on our advice or my advice, Elon, because I think you went Athanasiu, um, was able to feel rewarded for following it. Yeah, but probably if they added Bertuzzi at the start of the week, they probably dropped him before his hat trick yesterday. Because yesterday was a super busy Saturday. Who had Tyler Bertuzzi in their lineup? Let us know if you did. You're very smart. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood returned to the Devils yesterday after Keith Kincaid had yet another terrible week. And Blackwood continues his amazing career. Like, it's been a short career so far. But, like, another gem. He stopped 32 of 34 and a 3-2 win over the Flyers. Goes without question, I think, that Blackwood should be owned in all leagues at this point. I'm not even going to ask you. He's got a 947 save percentage in nine games. I chihuahua! <laughs> I'd be curious, who would you take at this point between Blackwood and Jordan Binnington? You already said Binnington over the other goalie, uh, Kemper. So how, how do you place Blackwood in that ranking? Blackwood, another goalie who has just been crushing it on the penalty kill. He stopped 36 of 37 shots faced while shorthanded. But unlike Darcy Kemper, Blackwood is also doing very well at five on five. Uh, between him and Binnington... I don't know. Like, again, we look at who Blackwood has played against recently. Uh, Carolina, Vancouver, Dallas, Arizona, Philadelphia. Not the most offensively daunting teams, although Carolina should be and sometimes they are. Um, 
It's coming up for New Jersey. Columbus, the Isles, and Pittsburgh are three of their next five opponents. But Blackwood has played already against Columbus and Boston and did all right. So I don't know. Like, I I don't know if I'm trying to take anything away from him or not. I don't mean to. I am going to go. Oh, man. I don't know, Elon. This is a really hard one. Can you go first? Blackwood or Bennington? Give me Blackwood. I think he's like a. I don't know, he's been there longer now. Like he's played more games than Bennington. Like we're talking like nine games instead of three games. So if I have to pick one right now, and also I just think uh, as bad as Jake Allen has been, I think Keith Kincaid has been worse. Like I think that Blackwood's probably going to play more games. Like okay. you know, but it's a coin flip. Like yeah, it, that's fair. I'm going to go the same direction as you. I'm going to go Blackwood, but it's super close, and I'm going Blackwood for the same reasons you mentioned. Yeah, th- this could definitely change, and I do like. I think Bennington has higher upside. If you if you want to like sort of play it a little safe, I go Blackwood, but. I think Bennington, like I think St. Louis can be a really good team potentially, and you could have a starting goalie on a really good team, but a lot has to go right, of course. Uh, since we're on New Jersey, Marcus Johansson returned from his injury to uh, hopefully continue to meet my very, very boring projection of a 40 point pace <laughs> as you talked about in that week when I was away. He jumped right onto the top line with his sheer and Palmieri since uh, Taylor Hall is out, and he went full Fowler. He had no points, no shots, no hits, no blocks, no nothing, all zeros across the board. A, z- a nothing game for Marcus Johansson in a game where the Devils won, like scored three goals. You think he would have done something. And Anyway, still seems like he's in a good spot while Hall is out. And he was putting up like three, four, five shots in stretches before he got hurt. So it's not as if he's generally a zero shot guy. Is uh, Marcus Johansson on your radar at all? And also, I feel like I've been asking you this question a lot. Is this person on your radar? Maybe I need a better idiom. So maybe while you answer about Marcus Johansson, you could also let me know a better way to ask this question. I, I guess I'm like, I'm okay with Marcus Johansson doing what he's doing. Uh, if he's playing with Hishir and Paul Mary, uh, you might as well take a shot at him although there are better third wheels to be had around the league uh but generally still like elon you've nailed your projection projection on him 40 points he's not much more than that for the most part uh as for other idioms or under the radar i would love to hear some listener suggestions tweeted us at keeping carlson let us know what elon can say instead of saying uh is this guy on your radar at all the best i could come up with elon is have you been smelling what he's been cooking I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's too corny. I see you, you wrote here in your crosshairs. I like that. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll go with that I, maybe. I thought that was cheesy and also like, like a similar military themed analogy. Like I, I wanted to try and come up with something totally different. Well, I'm good with saying one thing per episode. I just don't like to repeat the idiom multiple times in episodes. As long as I have like a collection of them, I can sort of cycle through them. Uh, by the way, we had a question in the chat room here from Ben Blackwood or Carter Hart. That's a very interesting question. I'm going to go Blackwood because Brian Elliott is going to be back for Philly soon. So who knows what happens to Carter Hart? I think Blackwood has a better chance. Uh, over Speaking of goalies on Washington, Brady... Braden, Brady, Braden Holtby took a stick to the eye yesterday, but it looks like he's fine. So this isn't much of a news item at this point. He's been practicing today. Phoenix Copley, like, you know, would have been a must add, I would think, if Holtby was going to be out. And Copley, by the way, having a fantastic rookie season, 10 wins, 916 save percentage in 16 games, making Caps fans say who Bauer? Like, no big deal that they lost Grubauer over the summer because uh, Copley seems just as good. And actually, Grubauer is kind of struggling uh, lately in Colorado, as are much a lot of Colorado players. Uh, <laughs> Okay, Brian, do you want to comment on that or should I go to my last couple things? Uh, Phoenix Copley has been good, like Brossois. I mean, not quite like Brossois because he hasn't been quite as good. But whenever he starts, you want him. If you know a day ahead or, or with whatever lead time you need to know, if you see Copley's getting the start, add him to your team. Uh, watching Grubauer struggle in Colorado reminds me of all those Nashville guys uh, that, that played net that Barry Trotz coached, and they looked great in uh, in Nashville's mustard yellow, but then awful anywhere else in the league. Uh, so I, I'm not saying Grubauer fits this bill, but he did play for Barry Trotz. 
look really good behind a strong team and then go to another team where he is seemingly being exposed. And going back to Copley, like I, I still have right, to- Okay, I, I, can't, I can't let this go on. It's Copley. Still, we said, and we already corrected oh. this previous show. You keep saying Copley. Oh, I thought we corrected it from Copley to uh, Copley. This is the thing you always do. We correct it and then you like forget. <laughs> so what's even the point of you like learning the thing? Because you'll forget right now. I just need to remember which one we corrected from. Just read it. It's C-O-P-L-E-Y. I read a lot of names and I don't say them right. It's Copley. Anyways, what about him? He's good, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Start him when he plays. Start him when he plays. I also I also threw out a theory on our patrons only Facebook group that if uh like down the stretch, Holtby had a lot of rest down the stretch last season. Like he essentially lost the job because he was playing like garbage and Grubauer stepped in and but Holtby ended up being the guy uh, who took the Capitals through the playoffs. I wonder if the Capitals remember that and try and take a page out of uh, last year's playbook, even if Holtby's doing okay and not take him out because he's garbage, but just because, hey, he needs some rest and, and Copley seems to be uh, handling his business all right. I wonder if Copley gets a few more starts down the stretch. Something to keep an eye on. Yeah, he already has been actually playing a lot for a backup. In, most, in a lot of my leagues where he's available, he's like the mo- biggest point getter just because he's been playing a lot. And when he's playing, he's winning games generally. Okay, a couple quick roster things. The Habs finally split up Max Domi and Jonathan Druin. They've been on the same line almost the whole season. The line mate had been switching a lot recently. Like it was Andrew Shaw for a bit. Paul Byron, Armia was there for a bit. But now they decided, let's just split these guys up completely because they both had gone cold. Druin was pointless in four before getting an assist yesterday uh, versus Colorado with his new line mates, Philip Dano and Brendan Gallagher, which by the way, I would say that's a pretty good spot for Phil Dano, who's had some good uh, games lately. And now if he's playing with Druin and Gallagher, I feel like that to me is the new top line over in Montreal. Uh, Domi continued his drought though yesterday with his new line mates, Archery Lekin and Joel Armia. He now only has one assist in his last five games. Uh, so Brian, I wonder if maybe you are going to gloat a little bit now because you were telling people back when Domi was doing so well that you didn't think it was going to last. It lasted for a while, but he's cold now. And now that he's not playing with Druin, it's kind of like I'm not as excited about Max Domi. Who knows how long this lasts? Maybe he gets paired back with Druin again at some point, but though they did win 3 nothing against Colorado yesterday. So uh, maybe the Habs will keep it going for a little longer. For completion, by the way, Paul Byron, Kotkaniemi, Thomas Tatar were on the other line for the Habs. Uh, so the question is, am I, I feel like anytime I'm right about something, you always are like, so Brian, you're going to gloat now. And I don't know if that makes people think that I do gloat a lot or that I don't, I don't know. Um, what I like, I would definitely say that I was right about Max Domi. Uh, we said he would go cold, uh, even when he was at the peak of his hotness, when he was still a point per game player. I hope you sold high when we suggested as hard as it would have been to do that. Uh, if you didn't, you're stuck with a guy who hopefully is going to get you 50, 55 points. If you have Druin, he's also not going to repeat uh, the first quarter of his season, or at least he's not likely to. So in that case, uh, you're expecting a 55, hopefully 60 point performance in the best case scenario. And then you have Tomas Tatar, uh, who's getting like, it seems like the Habs are running a top nine right now, but that Gallagher drew in line is definitely the one that you want to have players on. I'm not that interested uh, in Domi with Lekanen and Armia or Tatar with Byron and Kat Kaniemi. 
Okay, yeah. And let's end the show right now with a guy who we already talked about a little bit with Ryan Bolta earlier on. But over in Columbus, all this drama with Sergei Bobrovsky, he got suspended for a game, like by the team, like internally suspended because he apparently didn't come back to the bench after getting pulled versus the Lightning on Tuesday and they weren't happy about that. So Yunus Corposalo got the game on Thursday and some up, someone else like backed him up and he was good. He stopped 32 of 35 in a 4-3 overtime win over Nashville. And then uh, Corposalo got the game again yesterday because Columbus has a back-to-back, so Bobrovsky's going to play today. But Corpusalo, good again, by the way. Better. Stop 32 of 33 in a 2-1 overtime win over the Caps. Uh, Bobrovsky will play today versus the Rangers, but there's lots of speculation. Like, you know, like, as, I know, Brian, you don't like to generally get into too many rumors, but, like, people are asking, right? Like, people are saying, oh, what does this mean? Is Bobrovsky maybe on his way out? He is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, so maybe he gets traded at the trade deadline. Are you willing to give that any credence? Could we maybe spend, like, just two minutes discussing if we think Bobrovsky would be helped or hurt if he were to move to a new team and whether people should be preemptively adding Corpusalo, as I suggested earlier? on in the show um you could preemptively add Corpusalo. it does seem weird like i was looking desperately for information about what happened with Bobrovsky and what it means and it seems like there is a gag order on all columbus players nobody's talking about exactly what happened but everything's i thought, I thought we heard i thought it was because he let he was like wearing his street clothes when the game hadn't ended after he got pulled Oh, okay. Interesting. I did. I. don't. I didn't see that. Where did you I, see I just that? Said it. I just said it. Actually, oh, sorry. And, and it was written down in our prep document. <laughs> I was. I was busy looking up who the Rangers starter was today for a follow up note on this conversation. But back to Columbus. Uh, they are a uh, like not as contending a team as I think they would have hoped and I would have hoped them to be They're They're kind of right in the middle. Like they should be tracking for a playoff spot, but I don't know how deep they're going to be able to go. Trading Bobrovsky obviously hurts them a lot. Uh, one team that I would love to see Bobrovsky go to is Calgary. I don't know if they could or couldn't make room for him. If the Columbus Blue Jackets, like essentially if you want Bobrovsky, you're going to need Columbus to buy in on one of your like aging long-term assets, like a Mike Smith and think that like, and hope somebody in the Columbus organization has some tie to Mike Smith. It's like, Oh yeah, I think he's still got some in the tank for us. Or uh, another thought I had, Elon, I'm going to give you one guess. I tweeted this out earlier, uh, just before we started recording. I don't know if you saw which team in the NHL has the worst five on five save percentage. I didn't see. Is it Florida? I feel like Florida could really use a goalie. You're, Florida could absolutely use a goalie. You're close. They're 30th in the league. Uh, they and 31st are like in a league of their own, like way behind 29th, or at least relatively. Uh, the 31st ranked team in, in five on five save percentage in the NHL this year is the San Jose Sharks. And you look at the Sharks having Carlson, uh, it like maybe not there for very long, and you want to contend. What are you doing with Martin Jones tending your crease? Like you need to move on from that. You need to try and get out from under that. So if maybe, I, this seems very outlandish because the Sharks don't have a whole lot of flexibility, but perhaps maybe if Columbus likes Martin Jones somehow, uh, they can somehow acquire Sergei Bobrovsky and get the goalie that I think they really need to make them a very serious cup contender. Right now, if they contend for the cup, it'll be in spite of their goaltending. It'd be wonderful if they could do it in concert with their goaltending. Yeah, Brian, this is like total fan fiction. This is like you <laughs> yeah. nerding it up with some underlying numbers. 
to justify a reason why the Sharks will do something that they absolutely won't do. They've won like six games in a row. I don't think they're going to go start giving up pieces to get Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. He's not maybe, going to the Sharks. I don't know. Maybe it just won't take. Maybe Columbus just wants. To, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What's the Sharks are happy. There. They're winning games. Like, they're yeah, but they shouldn't be happy with their goaltending. League worst. Yeah, well, at even strength, but he's making up for it, uh, the penalty kill. Is he though? Well, I mean, they're winning these games. Like yeah, uh, one goal. Like against... I said, they're doing it in spite of their goaltending. Hey, they let in one goal against Ottawa in their last game. Two goals against Vegas in the previous. Two goals against. They've been letting in one or two goals against in their past like five games. So obviously, goaltending is not their concern right now. Uh, well, but... when you play Ottawa, it's pretty easy to give up one goal against. Also, the note I was talking about about the Rangers, I saw whispers earlier today that uh, Alexander Georgiev was going to get the start today, which means that he would be starting. Uh, oh my God. I'm not ready for this. Okay. You're not ready for this yet. Yeah, Georgiev has been getting some starts. Did uh, he start yesterday? That's what I was like. Like, I'm pretty sure it's a back to back. Is it not for the Rangers? It is. So he would be starting both halves of a back-to-back and at this point i'm like do the rangers know that it hurts their tanking choices to start lungvist and elon i'm curious to know what do you think this means for lungvist owners if like this is still an if we're two and a half hours away from game time we still don't know who the goal maybe this will all be moot but are you at all concerned about lungvist fantasy value because i do think the rangers are hurting their future by playing henrik lungvist today I don't know. Like, how good has Lundqvist even been? Like, you're talking about him as if he's, like, this amazing goalie. I feel like he uh, has definitely lost a step or two or, or whatever. Maybe no one would be doing well on this Rangers team. I'm bringing up Lundqvist's numbers. Now he's a 907 save percentage on the season. So, yeah, that's pretty good, obviously, especially on this team. But I don't know. Like, whatever. I would be concerned as a Lundqvist owner. Yeah. If I'm depending on Henrik Lundqvist for my fantasy team, then I got big problems because I feel like I wouldn't want him as anything more than my, like, third goalie, like, maybe second goalie. But I'd be much more comfortable having him as my third goalie this rangers team is bad and lungfist also is like older he's struggled over the past couple of seasons to be consistent all season long in fantasy at least like uh yeah and now if gorgiev's getting starts just another reason to be concerned that's my take okay so right <laughs> good take with that i guess we are done with the show and uh yeah thanks everyone for joining us for this uh, extravaganza of an episode. We went through so much. We talked about all of these players who you might be able to pick up from free agency. We covered the injuries and outers. We had Ryan Bolta give us some fun, sneaky, manipulative tricks that you can try in your fantasy leagues. And now we come to this point where we're going to ask you to uh, help support the show by becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. You can go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, get a bunch of nice perks. And for $5 a month, you can feel so good that you're helping us put out this show every single week to try to help you do well in your fantasy league. So again, that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Also, a uh, five-star review on iTunes, always appreciated. But okay, enough of that. Let's let's go home, Brian. Uh, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? I am home, but I'll do that from home. I meant to say, let's like take it home. Bring it on home. Yeah, that's it. That's the same. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Henrik L. No, not the goalie. Billy F. Maybe the goalie. I don't know. Henry H. and Justin B. Uh, the show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, Hockey Goalies, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Yahoo! Uh, great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again with you next Sunday at our regular evening time. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun.